Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition week 67. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Hey, everybody. 67? Yeah, I know. I mean, it seems like a lot. It feels like a lot. I was racking my brain trying to think of an athlete, but that's not a good athlete's number. We only have another 109 to go mm. yeah, after but again, though, this one. Again, things are getting things are heating up. Uh, not only this week does one of these seasons end. Uh, Voyager season ends, but um, yeah. we're not that far from TOS finishing entirely. That is correct. So, the way we do this, Ugh. just from an administrative point of view, right? We take the finishing order from last week's episodes, uh-huh. and we flip it right on its head. Yeah, and I, that's I, and that's how I watch them too. I try. We to. do the we do the fifth place finisher first, and the first place finisher fifth. Just Does so, that make sense? Yeah, we're trying to combat our prejudices, everybody. If only everyone else tried as hard as we do. It, um, I guess at some point we should evaluate whether that's been effective. Well, it's a barrier to entry whenever we're back on the clock. I look at what I have to watch and I go, oh, that was so bad last week. Well, I don't do that. I just watch them in the order TOS first. That's still, still hard. A, yeah. Still a very hard barrier to it's get It's the over. longest one and sometimes the most boring, so... I and I really did uh, before when I when I was done with Voyager this week and it was time to watch Enterprise. I really did say to myself, well, "That's a couple minutes shorter." That's right. Every little bit counts, and uh, especially when we drop TOS, it'll feel good because it's the longest. So it'll be like, "Ah, yeah. oh, fuck yeah, no more fifty-one minute episodes." But the way it works this week is uh, fifth place last week was Enterprise. No. Yeah, and this week we watched. Doctor's orders. No! Okay. Yeah. Enterprise is becalmed adrift, floating dead in space. Sure. The engines are dark. Uh, I believe and I told all of her you, stations are deserted. I believe I told you this. I paused it one second in, <laughs> and just looked at the Enterprise against a purple, <laughs> a purple cloud or whatever, and just stared at it for five or six minutes, just wondering if I had the strength to start. Just the fucking week. summoning it up. <laughs> I did eventually get it done. Uh, Porthos runs through the empty corridors, chased by Flocks, who begrudgingly allows him into Archer's quarters. Where the captain is unconscious with, like, the business end of a stethoscope glued to his head. Yeah, he got a little blinker on his forehead or whatever. He got a little blinking thing up there. And uh, as Phlox walks around the ship, he is dictating a letter to Dr. Lucas, just like in everyone's favorite episode of this show. 
Dear Dear Doctor? I mean, what's the name of that one? I don't know. It definitely happened. It was definitely you know, Data's Day. He done did this one before. It's Data's Day Part Three, I guess. He explains over flashbacks from two days ago. Enterprise detects another of the gloopy space wads from last week. Mm-hmm. Although, as you point out, in this one, it's just a purple nebula. Yeah, last week it was pretty It was different. a weird orange mass last week, <laughs> but this week it's a purple nebula. Yeah. Um, and uh, Fox and T-Pole reveal a plan that will allow them to pass through this thing instead of having to go around it. Mm-hmm. Because it's Voyager at this point. Essentially correct, yep. <laughs> By putting the whole crew uh, into... Uh, all the human crew into medical comas because it's going to do a nasty on their neocortex. Yeah, if they're awake even for seconds while they're inside, they'll go all crazy and die or whatever. Yeah. Um, so luckily, Flox's brain is different. And good thing there's no chance that anything could possibly go wrong while they're all unconscious in this cloud. Yeah, for four days traveling through this cloud at Impulse. Mm-hmm. So they train Flox up on some of the ship's essential functions and... Uh, Trip tries tries to convince him. Look, if the ship's in danger, and it's something you can't handle, wake me up, even if it means I'm gonna die. And I guess a lot of other people give him that same, mm-hmm. uh, that same instruction because it, he has to go get a pep talk from Archer, and he puts him under. Back to the present, I guess. Yep. Uh Flox is like walking around doing his business, and he he's here and. Spooky clang noises every so often. Yeah, he's trying to watch his movie and shit. And he's having a a weird old... He's having a weird old time, too. Running around singing nonsense songs, hanging out nude. God, yeah. Uh, Watching the same movie that I think they were probably going to play for movie night anyway, instead of, uh, I don't know, something that would be interesting to him. (laughs) Yeah, also, now he's going to be able to spoil it for everybody, because they're still going to want to watch it. Anyway, he keeps hearing these fucking clanging sounds, and eventually he gets up and goes all over the ship. Uh, Porthos leads him into the shuttle bay. This is just dang old T-Pole. Right. Uh, it seems like, uh, I guess she has not been in the coma also, because she's a Volco. I was deeply confused at this point, because I was pretty sure that they had prepped us that he was going to be the only one awake. That's why they were Boy, training him on all the systems and everything. It sure did seem like that, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe... Uh, and then she just shows up out of nowhere, and it's like, well, this dude was naked 15 minutes ago. <laughs> right. Was he like, oh, I hope T-Paul doesn't walk in, or maybe I hope she does. I'm a weirdo. Yeah, I had notes on, like, ah, oh, this fucking guy. I'm just... very sexually liberated. This guy has no shame at all. Just walks around naked while everyone's asleep. Like, I couldn't do that shit. And then she comes up, and I'm like, oh, what the hell's going on? Probably putting his balls on all the crew members he doesn't like. <laughs> Real good, juvenile stuff. Good prank. Got a lot of growing up to do. Right. Um... Anyway, she doesn't want to go to movie night with him. They have a difference of opinion about all of this uh, solitude. Right. He's not into it. He His people are social people. They got like group marriages and they all live in big cities. Yeah, that guy has at least five grandfathers or mothers or whatever. Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's like, uh, she's just been meditating and shit because, uh, well, I quiet. don't know, Vulcan's a big empty desert, so that's what they're used to. Well... I mean, that fits. Yeah. Um, but it's getting worse for him. He, like, sees a crazy silhouette run away. 
T-Paul keeps telling him he's nothing. He has a Twilight Zone moment where the movie where he thinks there's a goblin outside Archer's window. Mm -hmm. T-Paul's giving him the standard Star Trek thing uh, when someone has a hallucination of, you probably just need sleep. Yep. It's only the 80th or 90th time this has happened. Not only do I not believe anything you're saying, but also I'm not worried enough about it to do anything. Just go get some sleep, not you're clearly deranged. Anyway, he um, he hallucinates, or maybe it's real, a couple of Zindis. Uh-huh. A couple of them uh, Zorax boys. Yeah, the CGI ones. Yeah. Not makeup. Cha- chase them all through the ship. He convinces people to help him uh, search search all the decks of the ship. Takes a pot shot at Porthos, who's uh, wandering around free. Yeah, Porthos turns a corner and almost gets blasted right in the fucking head. At this, at this point, T-Pole says to him, hey... Hey, a couple of weeks ago, you told, uh, Hoshi. who did he tell? Hoshi? Yeah. It was, when that, Hoshi. it was when that goblin guy was in her brain, I think. Oh, yeah, and that terrible Beauty and the Beast episode. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast guy before they knew what was going on and she was seeing visions and stuff. Right. And that's when the last time they had all this insulting stuff about when someone sees something, they're just like, maybe you just had a daydream. Right, yeah. So she's like, hey, didn't you tell Hoshi a couple of weeks ago that hallucinations are considered healthy on mm-hmm. Denobula and that it's just uh, stress being relieved? And he's, as usual, he's like, fuck you, I saw what I saw. Right. Um, I don't know, maybe this plants something in his mind because like one minute later he gets a call from Hoshi. Yeah. And she's supposed to be asleep, so that's not right. And he goes, and she's doing the great Star Trek showering in her clothes thing. Oh, man. Data's going to spend uh, so much time looking this up later. <laughs> just, I mean, late, by later, you mean in 200 years 200 in the real years, chronology? This yeah. is going to pop up on his list of all the times somebody showered in their clothes, I bet. Oh, you think he wrote any of this down? It's uh, an interesting idea. Well, we'll find out. And anyway, she's uh, all zombie-faced, so not, we know nothing real is happening here. Yeah. Um... Especially because then a, uh, a minute later, he's like, oh, no, she's just lying in her bed. Nothing's going on in that bathroom. So he uh, he calls for T-Paul. Um, and eventually they he has another hallucination run in with Archer. But eventually they get to sick bay and he's like, yeah, it turns out I looked real hard and I am suffering the exact kind of degradation we put all these people into the comas for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what I need to do now is go into a coma myself, and I'm going to leave it all up to you, T-Paul, but um, she really doesn't want him to do this. Yeah. She says that the space is affecting her, too, so it's not safe. They've only got six hours to go, so they agree to stick it out together. Okay. Apparently, they don't go and check on their progress, because when they do turn up on the bridge, they're like, well, we should have been out of the anomaly half an hour ago. And by the way, why did they wait an extra half an hour? I don't know, because they seem desperate for this thing to be over. And by the way, even when I'm just on, say, a commercial airliner, I check the map, like, fully half the time. That's the main thing I'm doing yeah. when I'm on one of those flights. Is I'm watching like, oh, I'm over Colorado. That's cool. Yeah. Get there soon. Um. Anyway, they're like, oh, whoops, the anomaly grew a lot, and we're... Just weeks from the edge if we don't go to war. Yeah, it grew like so much that their four-day trip turned into however many weeks they say. Ten weeks is what I wrote down. That thing didn't fucking grow. It was like they it was a shrinkadink, and they they got it in the water. Yep, <laughs> they watered that shrinkadink. Now, isn't a shrinkadink a thing you put in the oven and when you bake it, it gets small? All right. 
It's made of that number five plastic or whatever. All right, you win. Fine, you, I never owned a shrink-a-dink. One of those foam Dr. Mario pills that you put in the water and it becomes yeah, a stegosaurus. Sometimes they were dinosaurs. You're right, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. What about. do you mean sometimes? What else would they have been? I don't know. There's probably dirty ones. Peens. Anyway, they got to turn the warp engines on, which Trip didn't think was safe. And also, Flox doesn't know how to turn the warp engines on. Yeah. They didn't learn that, I guess. T-Pole should know, but she is not helpful. She's a bimbo. She turned into a bimbo. She is, uh, she's, we haven't seen Identity Crisis yet, (laughs) but she's doing an Identity Crisis Mm -hmm. where she's kind of confused or like uh, when Picard starts turning into a lemur, maybe. Oh, yeah. Less twitchy, but definitely on the right track. Uh, yeah, she doesn't know how to do anything. She's very uh, easily distracted. She, become, she, she becomes real timid. Yeah. Uh, Etc. So, uh, Flox has got to uh, read a bunch of tech manuals to start the engine on up. And he's still, like, he's having a hallucination here with Trip. Uh, he sends T-Pole to, to do something with the warp relays that she comes back and very meekly tells him she can't find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets the thing going. I, I, I'm, so I'm not sure whether to spoil it or not, but what I wrote at this point is, it's almost like she's not really there. <laughs> he gets the dang, dang thing going, but uh, it's he did it wrong somehow. Enterprise goes into limp home mode and starts shaking around and sparks are shooting everywhere. Right. Now T-Paul starts trying to convince him to wake up Trip. God, yeah. But he's like, ah, I'm not ready to kill him yet. Yeah, let's I just see. killed his clone. Like... <laughs> On the recent, and I hated that. You remember it was my idea from the start? I came up with the whole scheme. Yeah. And then it was, I was like, ah, I can harvest this thing without even hurting the guy. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, No, I can't. can't. I'm not that good at brains. I thought I was going to get through this. Um, anyway, he fights through it and fixes the problem and they warp on out of the anomaly. And uh, he wakes up Archer and Trip, and uh, then he walks T-Pole to her quarters, and of course she is in there sound asleep. Mm. <sighs> because and he, she was an hallucination. And he just smiles like, hmm, I should have known. Yeah, now everything makes sense. Instead of like, whoa! <laughs> he oh my god, if I would listened to you, I would have killed everybody. <laughs> he definitely thought he was with her the whole episode. <laughs> Later, uh, he finishes up his letter and talks to the real T-Pole, and it seems like all the warp stuff was real and necessary. Like, I guess the anomaly really did grow. God. And also, maybe it seems like maybe he didn't tell anyone about his hallucinations, which uh, is pretty irresponsible, Phlox. Yeah, maybe at least as long as the next time they have to do this, he goes, no, I I should coma too, because last time I had bad gas for a week. And I don't want to have the bad gas. So we'll all need to coma together. Yeah, what's uh, what's what's this excuse going to be next time? You know what? Maybe the computer can just fly the ship. I think they, I think until we've, we're out, we've come a long way with autopilot, and I think it can handle it. Yeah, uh, boy. Hmm. Yeah, what's this damn episode about, Matthew? Hmm. 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 <laughs> well, I should say we only have uh, partial notes from Ben this week. Yes, I shared with you offline that I only have themes of self doubt. And overcoming, overcoming your self-doubts. So I can only give it one point. I tried. I couldn't come up with a sentence that explained what I wanted it to say. Because it was a weird mystery horror show. Mm-hmm. 
What, what did no, you have? Could, did you have something stronger? We could, no, we could. No, no, definitely not. But we can try this on. <laughs> okay. In every haunted house, yeah, the real ghosts are inside you. That's right. Yeah, just ask uh, Jenny and Kwang Su on Running Man. Bora fucking lied to her, man. She was not. She said no one was gonna jump out at her. Who lied to you, Borani? (laughs) Fucking fell apart. (laughs) It's a good episode. It was good stuff. Um. Yeah. Well, that's obviously not true. So. Oh, and then I wrote. So what? Uh, I gave it two points. It's a real nothing burger of a take. Yeah. 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 Only one for me. And as you said, we didn't get full notes, and Ben didn't give us a take. So. I mean, it's. It really is just a just a spooky what what's going on, and unfortunately, I figured out what was going on. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of Act Two, which is too early in a five act show. Again, I was just so confused when T Pole showed up. I was like, I must have missed something. I I had a hard time focusing. Maybe I just missed that she was gonna be there too. So I'll burn a quick hitter right after he sees the silhouette in engineering Mm -hmm. and he calls her and she says, well, what were you doing in engineering? It's my job to look after the engines. I was like, nope, we saw a trip train. Right. That's what I was saying. I was like, I must have missed something because I could have sworn he was being trained in engineering. Um, Well, how do you feel this one executed this? Nothing, nothing take, and then uh, just general execution. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. So, um, it's not much fun that I got the twist early. Mm-hmm. If if the whole episode is, but what if none of it was real? Yeah. And you, like, I get that there need to be clues or it's dissatisfying because it's not fair. But if you burn it early, then it's also dissatisfying because you're like, When's this idiot going to realize none of this is real? And by the way, in this episode, that's never. <laughs> yep. Literally walks back to recorders. It's, because it should have been dramatically at the moment where she's trying to get him to wake Trip up. And he's like, that's when he should be like, wait a minute. You have no power over me. Something like that, right? Yeah, that's yeah. where Cisco would have realized what was going on, let's just say. Well, he would have he certainly would have convinced everyone well, else. He was asserted was that he knew what was going on. <laughs> hey, guys, I figured it out. There's no uh, no anomaly. Just think just think good thoughts. So that sucks for one. Yeah. Then I'm I'm sick of hallucinations. Yeah. And hallucination-driven shows particularly. It's not good. And then on top of that, this whole episode is a real so what. Yeah. Nothing happens. We learn nothing. Yep. Including about flocks, really. Yeah, just that he's uncomfortable being alone, which is I don't know what we're supposed to do with it. This is like we found out where what's his name? The bat the Zindi? The death the oh. weapons Zindi? Oh, uh not Greylick, but no, uh the other one. Uh fuck. <sighs> Well, I don't remember. Starts with a D. <laughs> anyway, we found out where he was building the weapon uh-huh. two weeks ago. L- last week we had Harbinger. Yeah, uh, Draga, a uh, Degra. Sorry, Draga. Degra. Degra. Um, yeah, I was going to say this the same week, thing. It's it's like, hey, let's get through it now. Let's keep it moving. This is just stretching it out, and I don't need it. It's not doing any work. Yeah. 
for sure they they said, all right, now we can get to the end. And they went, well, wait, we have more episodes. And they clearly, they didn't plan it so very good. We want to do the actual thing with the Zindi in one episode if we can, so. <laughs> That's right. Let's not make it some kind of super dramatic arc. Let's just, uh, let's knock it out in 40 minutes if we can do that. So this is, so it's frustrating to have to sit and watch this episode. I agree. That's how I felt. Once you realize that it's not going to do any work for you. And then also, I didn't, I mean, there's like, there's a, a couple of jump scares. There's a bad CGI chase. It just, I gave it a two. Yeah. Uh, the terrible plot device of a flashback to two days ago. Oh, yeah. Unnecessary. It's just like, you could just start two days ago. I don't care. You can just say what happened two days ago. That's fine, too. That's always the move I want, by the way. Just start two days ago. Just, just start. start the episode two days ago. It's fine. We just did this. We did this with the Degra one. Yes, we did. Where he's like, he's in the middle of the interrogation, and then he's like, three days ago. And you're like, okay. This is the show that does this the most. It's the only fucking device that they use, really. Uh, it became a psychological horror episode, as expected. As soon as we knew Flox was going to be by himself, we knew there was going to be jump scares and weirdness. So that's not going to have high hit rate with me. I, I don't care about that. I mean, here's the thing. At that point, it can go one of two ways. It can be a starship mine, and that sucks. It's not good. Right? That's just a disp- another space diehard. Uh-huh. Or it can be all a spooky bunch of hallucinations, and that sucks. Yeah. So at the moment, you have one character isolated on the ship, and then, you know, with all the power out and everything, just stop. Just stop writing. You, you did bad. Do a different kind of episode. Not only that. Okay, so we, you mentioned uh, Starship Mine. Is there a character that you would want to see more than that one by itself, by, than Picard? Is there somebody else in any of the other series where you'd be like, oh, I'm interested in seeing this person on uh, an adventure by themselves, doing a Die Hard or whatever? I don't think there could be anyone... I mean, sometimes it's fun to see Data's hands move really fast, right? <laughs> That's certainly what they think. He can put all the optical chips back in or whatever, do cool stuff on the computer. You just move your hands around. We're going to film it and we're going to speed it up. We're just going to film your hands for a minute. So I guess there might be room for a neat Starship mine with Odo. Okay. Just because you'd get to see he could do some stuff that a normal character can't do. He could shapeshift and... Um, yeah, because he's a shapeshifter. He's got hidden cameras all over the station, so... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, my but point is... It. No one on Enterprise... Garrick, maybe? A Garrick starship mine? Yeah, no one... Because he would murder so many people? No one on Voyager, no one on Enterprise. Nah. So, like, don't do it. Don't have one of those where it's like, oh, they all alone. I, look, look, I mean, if you're going to do it in Enterprise, then go, I go absolutely crazy with it and do it with Chef. That's right. Exactly. Just the only time we ever see Chef is a and Chef he's, adventure. He's, he's diehard. And fuck it, make it Bruce Willis. Who cares? God, that'd be so wild. Um, I don't like watching the crew suck at everything and watching him and fake T-Pole just kind of suck their way through this adventure. That's not entertaining either. So yeah, I was in agreement that it was a two. It didn't get there for me. Ben gave us some incomplete notes. It sounded like he was halfway through the episode. Um, world building. <clears throat> a pike and space moth. Okay. Transdimensional disturbances, uh, which we've already been seeing, but these were different from last week's. You have to shut down the main computer to avoid damage from ion storms. 
I don't understand why, but okay. I just put what? Uh, Denobulans are highly sociable and find... Uh, oh, sol- by the way, that doesn't apply to this situation. Yes. That is a, just a metaphor he's using for the brain. The one he said it, I went, that doesn't sound right. Um, Denobulans are highly sociable and find solitude difficult. Again, continuity about flocks telling Hoshi that hallucination is uh, considered to be healthy among the Denobulans. Uh, fake T-Pole slammed him with that one. Oh, by the way, it's a clue. Why does T-Pole know about that conversation? I would not have been able to remember. Maybe he... Maybe he... You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. If oh, they expect us to be that in deep... Call, maybe because he consults with T-Pole on medical issues, uh, re- private medical issues regarding the crew all the time? <laughs> yep, exactly right. I don't think it's a very good clue. And if they expect us to be so deeply tuned into this show, they need to make the show better. Because, like, I wouldn't yeah. have remembered. Um... I'm glad Vulcans and Denobulans are also affected by this dumb space. It's annoying that one of them is always immune to some virus or anomaly. So when in the beginning, when you're supposed to think Phlox is immune. Yeah, you know. in the in in TNG, Jordy is immune to that space sickness. And right. that's just because he's immune to it. Yeah, just randomly. It's just random. All of the other thousand aliens on the ship get it. That's right. It's um, and TNG treats people more alike, uh, to the point where in the chase we get to find out why they're all so similar and everything. It does seem like an enterprise. Vulcans are uh, immune. How much are you looking forward to seeing Gullo set? It's fucking, uh, and of course, Nudak, Nudak City, and Gullo set, and whoever the the Romulan guy is. The Romulans show up at the end. I don't really care about them. They're just there to argue in the background while Crusher does it. Okay. Uh, but in the early 90s, that Romulan meant a lot to me because he was also Colonel Monroe in the uh, Last of the Mohicans film adaptation starring Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> okay? Okay. <laughs> He's the gray hair. Well, that'll be something to talk about for sure in during <laughs> season many years? six. Yeah, three years from now or whatever. Sure. Uh, <sighs> if we can ever stop talking about that. <laughs> Fucking Curlinescos. <laughs> uh, look, dude. For all we know, it's just a recipe for biscuits. Go home, then. I will send you my mother's recipe. All right. Um, Klingon biscuits are probably real nasty. If I got worms in them and whatnot. Uh, let's see. Flock says that he will bring his medical staff out of their comas first. Oh, what? yeah. We've never medical seen Medical staff. Exactly. <laughs> and this ship only has 80 people on it. It's not like on TNG where... The uh, doctor, Doctor Crusher's in the middle of Remember Me, and she's like, "I used to have a staff," and we're like, "Kind yeah, of." When Nurse <laughs> Gawa shows up every once in a while, she and randomly, sometimes they say Doctor Solar's name like a joke in the background. She randomly has staff, but it is definitely not always staffed because that's why Wyatt can just walk in there and steal all the supplies he wants. Yep, fucking Haven. Um, I gave it a three. I could have seen a two. Mm. Well, I gave it a mere one. Okay. <laughs> In addition to the things you brought up, mm. we have some nasty stuff about Denobulan nightlife. It sounds like nightclubs, there are swingers clubs. Oh, that's fucking gross. I'm glad I didn't hear that. He talks all about the, well, in his letter, he talks about people going, this guy going to these nightclubs and oh. about the joy of meeting one or two new companions. Oh and- boy, I definitely, uh, I definitely tried not to listen to those segments because I was so mad about the device, the plot device <laughs> of having him do that. I did hear something about the guy losing some people on Earth and I was like, is everybody from fucking Florida? What's happening here? I guess everybody knows someone from Florida. Mm. 
maybe uh maybe in addition to weather nets they've got gator nets oh i gotcha and uh, skeeter nets gator nets and skeeter nets sure um oh and his fifth grandma and so on uh also he has the technology to maintain 79 people in a coma yeah, apparently all it takes yeah, is one can of those, make the rounds and visit the mall every day. One of those little fucking blinkers is all it takes, I guess. Now you got to give him a shot too. Oh. I don't know what the blinkers doing actually. Maybe it is just monitoring. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, he doesn't seem worried. In fact, he's super not worried about putting everyone into comas and bringing them out again. Yeah, I guess in the future they're a lot more confident about anesthesia because here you're like, uh, anytime. Yeah, we don't do that unless we really need to because... You never know. Listen, sometimes it goes wrong. That's right. people just die. So that's what they always tell you and they gotta come in and then you gotta... You have to tell them your name and birthday and what procedure you're there for and you gotta tell them 900 times and you gotta every time tell them that you have no uh, allergies and like they do not let you do anything. Man, the only time I ever had anesthesia was when uh, I had my appendix out, and I think they ran the abbreviated procedure. Well, it was sort of an emergency. As I, I remember recall. a lot of that. I yeah. was sleepy, so I don't really remember, but as I recall. That was, was like six in the morning when I went in, so. Yeah, six in the mouth. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a one. Like Okay. Yeah. No, sorry. I, you convinced me. It's a two. Do some world building, guys. <laughs> I switched. This is the show for it. It's before all of the rest of Star Trek. I switched it to it too because I was in between. Characterization. Um, go for it. Flox uh, is social and doesn't handle isolation well. Uh-huh. Uh, no one else is in this. Yeah. It's a two. Yep. Uh, and you didn't have any other notes or anything? That was it? Okay. No, that's it. I um, mean, what else is there? Archer gives him a little pep talk. Trip is uncomfortable with the idea and wants to be a hero. And apparently everyone else on the ship does too, so that's not even a character trait of Trip's. Yeah. Um, let's see. He's kind of a jerk. He won't even wipe that dog spit off of Archer. <laughs> I didn't even notice that gag and I don't care. Dog came in and licked him in that first scene and then he just leaves and it's like, gross, dude. He's going to fucking stink after a couple of days of that. Uh, let's see. Uh, his dumb letter writing and dumb toenails. Uh, walks around naked while everyone's in a coma. Also, it just goes back to watching his movie after hearing a suspicious noise, even though he's the only person on the ship who's awake and capable of doing anything about it. So that's not cool. Maybe try a it little really harder. Isn't. Like, if I felt like I was the only person who was going to stop the ship from blowing up, the slightest noise would send me fucking piping down the corridor. Actually, I would just set up camp in engineering. <laughs> no one's there who cares i would just lay down a fucking sleeping bag and lay in engineering that's the spot to be um and then i said wait t-pole's awake too this whole thing got much weirder um Flox has at least five grandmothers oh okay t-pole was never awake trip says he'd rather be awakened and uh and die if it saves the ship but like would it <laughs> it sounds like he'd be instantly he's, messed up he's asking Flox to make a, a very strange decision yeah, I don't... Like, Flox is going to make a call that he thinks that something has gone wrong that he cannot fix, yeah. but Trip can fix in the 10 minutes before he becomes irreparably insane. Yeah, he, uh, he told Archer that, like, within moments, they'd start to experience issues. Like, I don't think Ar- I don't think Trip's going to be that helpful if you wake him up. Uh, and yeah, Archer gets... Yeah, there's, they're still going to be asking Trip what day of the week it is and shit, and he's going to go nuts. 
Archer gave Phlox a nice pep talk, like you said. I guess he got all the wild animal screams out of his system last week uh, during that Dookie <laughs> show. Uh, he's saving him up. He knows the big confrontation with the Zindis <laughs> coming. He doesn't want to shoot shoot his voice just yelling at Phlox for no reason. Uh, for me, it was a three. Uh, did you write down some quick hitters? I did. I'm disappointed in myself, but I did. Um. Oh, good. The dog. That's good. I told you I had to pause it for a while. Uh, I guess nobody was worried about running into trouble while the whole crew was asleep, because they're just going to put this fucking doctor in charge. How does Flocks know all those Soviet running songs? <laughs> Is that what that. you interpreted that as? I heard that shit, dude. I heard those fucking progressions. That shit's Soviet. It was either that or some fucking early 90s, mid 90s Korean music. I know this doesn't make sense, but even thinking of the uh, Soviet military, I don't think of them running. Just kicking, right? Yeah, I think just kicking each other, mostly. <laughs> just That's kind of, of the main thing I think about them doing. Line up two lines facing each other and practice kicking each other in the chest, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Uh, there was a 100% chance of a jump scare when he went up to that window. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the least surprising thing ever. Jolene Blaylock is even worse at playing emotions than playing lack of emotions. She was so bad as bimbo confused T-Paul. And I know it yeah, was fake, sex, but like... Sex T-Paul is not better than regular T-Paul. That's right. Yeah, Dax needs something in her character. Regular Dax is the worst Dax. If you can put something in there, sex Dax works. Um, dirty short hair Dax from the other side of the, the mirror universe. Just anything. It's something, yeah. Uh, that was it. That's all the the quick ones. I just have a few. Uh, first, I wrote "cool" a spooky Halloween episode. Yep. I don't know when this aired. Actually, must have been in the spring. We're closing out season three. Whatever, still counts. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrote, "If T Paul is responsible for monitoring the engines, why did we see that flashback with Trip? Uh-huh. Is T Paul not really here? Is one of them hallucinating? <laughs> there you go." I also, I also made the possibility that Flox wasn't there. So that whatever. would have been a probably a better. Would switcheroo. have been a real weird device, but yeah. Why did uh, I imagine yeah. everyone was training Flox? That's so weird. <laughs> As always, Star Trek is a world where hallucinations are super common, and everyone thinks you just need to get some sleep mm-hmm. or that you were daydreaming. You know, because it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> yep. Also, I first of all, I need you to tell me. Now, if you've ever had a hallucination. Not that I know of. Okay, cool. So the other possibility that occurred to me when I'm watching this is, man, what if people really do hallucinate all the time and I just don't? I just have a brain injury from when I was a kid and I don't hallucinate. <laughs> sure. Well, we should. Now that let's put didn't that out there. seem likely to me, but Star Trek would make you think that it's pretty common. Please write in and tell us if you have hallucinations on the regular. And that way we'll know if this is yet another way that we are separate and different from the rest of you. Yeah, we do have this much of the same genetic material and the same upbringing, so I suppose that's possible. Chances are good. Neither one of us could hallucinate, but everyone else in the world is. And then I said, I guess zombie Hoshi is better than what I was expecting, which is just naked Hoshi. <laughs> well, the shower was running, so... A shower was running. There We'd was already a seen Flocks naked. We saw Jolene, two-thirds of Jolene Blaylock's ass last week. Uh-huh. They've made Hoshi run around in a hand bra before. So, could have happened. Yep. No, you're right. That was definitely a But problem. instead, she just had a gross zombie face, so. Yeah, full uniform uh, gross zombie face? I mean, that's fine. Let's do that. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. 
I mean, I still don't be don't get me wrong. I still thought it was dumb. I was just glad it wasn't exploitative. Yep. And uh, I gave best actor to. Uh, there's a moment when he's trying to get Teepol to do something on the engines, and she is so enfeebled that she doesn't. She can't even talk to him, and she, she just, just like weakly gestures <laughs> yeah. at the controls, like you got to do it. And that I thought was best actor, and I gave worst actor to Flocks because there's only two people yeah, in this show. It was a cast. It's a, two, of two. it's a two-hander. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Give right. Enterprise stays on this path. Yeah. <laughs> it we could stop hearing Faith of the Heart. Now I know no. it's got to drop a lot of points. We did the math. Maybe we did the math off the air. We did the math last time. It, there's not enough time left. They would have to do so bad, and Voyager would have to do got, so well. They got, like, 33 more episodes. Yeah, but they are way behind. And they only have to give up... It's a couple hundred points, but still... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Listen, everyone says Voyager gets better when 7 right. or 9 shows up. Well, maybe we'll find out. And all I'm saying is the last two Enterprise episodes have been trash. Oh, real, just so bad. I mean, again, that's yeah. if you go first, that means you had a Dookie episode last week, and now it's back to back Dukes. So yeah, I think you could tell both from the scores. The highest score that anyone gave is a three this week, and they got exactly one of those. <laughs> that uh, ooh, this week was also a not so good. Yeah, but hey, good news, we do get to talk about Voyager, my favorite. Uh, next. <sighs> Fourth place last week was Voyager. This week we watched Scorpion Part 1. Break the sands until they surface. Up they come, gone translucent. They're coming up no matter Fools rushing. And the doors slam shut. If you had played that a year ago, I wouldn't even know who that was. Yeah, but now you recognize it as the Mountain Goats. That is Outer Scorpion Squadron. Oh, that was uh, that was lovely. I'm gonna have to check that one out. Um, well, when I put together the list for you, I didn't realize that you uh, are a jazz guy. Yeah, that that's was me. the big discovery of that project. <laughs> I want to be a jazz guy. Is that you want to be a jazz Play guy? Play black music for white people. I got it. And uh, or I would have put some of the jazzier ones in uh, solo till everyone in the room gets bored beyond belief. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a lesser work of pot USA. Yeah, much lesser. It's, uh, it's um, a very bad. What is that? Freaked out and small. It's not good. It's, uh, yes, exactly. They had two good records. I mean, there are things. And the second about, one was not as good as the first one, but still there are things about freaked out and small that, that aren't so bad. There's um um. It's so good they built it twice. Uh, Death Star. <laughs> Death Star. Yeah, Death Star is not too bad. Um, but yeah, there's also some some junk on it. All right, let's what's talk. The, what's the banger off of that one? Jupiter. Uh, yeah, I mean, massive passive ball. Uh, exactly. Or or orbital. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's Tiger Bomb. That's kind of a slow one. There's um, tiny explosions. That's okay. Tiny explosions. That's sure. how the record gets started. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's not a winner. <laughs> it's, it's a very average record. All right, hey, there's some Borgs in this teaser. Uh, some Borg cubes flying all around, but uh, whoopsie, something blew them all up credits. 
Janeway is chilling with Leonardo da Vinci on the holodeck. Sometimes I get so mad that I don't get to read what I wrote. <laughs> Why did you have a really Which good is, one? Janeway is playing Assassin's Creed on the holodeck. <laughs> it's not. It's not untrue, though. It's not the cool part where you're climbing walls and knifing people. She's mostly yeah. having a talkie with this guy. Um, uh, hey, with Gimli. Look, if you would like to take on Voyager no, once I, TOS well, ends, yes, you one, can have I think it. that's probably what'll happen, is okay. once TOS ends, I'll start doing Voyager. Well, you can feel free. Um, anyway, she's called to engineering. I'm not even gonna... She's, she thinks she's invented a flying machine. It's cheating. She's she's from the future. <laughs> she's from the future. I don't know why she's so impressed with herself. Anyway, uh, she gets called to engineering. Their long-range probe that they, I guess, sent out. Um, well, the Borg found it, and that means they found the Borg. And turns out they're heading right into Borg space, finally, they say. They uh, come up with a plan to fly through what they call the Northwest Passage, which is mostly Borg-free because it's all chock full of black holes. Yep. Um, everybody gets uh, busy. There's a big preparation montage to, to head in to the passage. Um, in sickbay, Kess is working with the doctor on counteracting Borg nanoprobes. Nanoprobes. Mm-hmm. When she has, I wrote no-no probes first. She has a crazy horror vision of Borg bodies all piled up in a room, and she says everyone's gonna die. It's uh, it's a bad bad scene. Anyway, fifteen Borg vessels come flying by, and uh, they blow right past Voyager. Um, they do get scanned on the way. Uh, so anyway, those Borgs go on their way, and Voyager's left wondering what the hell's up. Uh, Janeway and Chaco have a chat in her office about whether it makes more sense to abandon the trip home and maybe maybe stay somewhere safe in the Delta Quadrant. It's weird timing because they're like, we're going to fly through this passage. And then the first time they run into Borg, they don't get shot or anything. And they're like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Well, hang on a second. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be Borgs. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Wait <on>. a minute. <laughs> uh, they verbally fuck the shit out of each other. It's just a lot of I love you. Kate, I love you, Chaco. And then they're called to the bridge. Does he have another name? Beltran. Like at the end, are we going to find out his name is Baxter Chicote? <laughs> it's not even pronounced the way she pronounces it. It's just Chicote. She's just been going along for it. It's just Chicote. According to this show, it's Chicote the Indian, I believe. Oh, okay, that's right. Uh, those cubes that passed them, uh, they're now crazy debris. They got all blowed up. And um, there's some other unfamiliar signature in the debris um uh so now we got some kind of superpower capable of dicing up borg cubes they detect some leftover traces of alien biotechnology and they go to one of the cubes to retrieve it in case it can help them beat the borg later maybe uh among the best up borg they find that pile of bodies that kess saw earlier they also find a bio ship uh of some was it lodged in the cube or something uh, it's like st- hanging out. I think it's a uh, boarding party. It's just stuck on the outside right now. It's just hanging out there. Uh, they're doing some research on it, and Kess has a vision of Harry getting the shit cooked out of him by an alien. They try to um, they try to beam the away team back, and uh, after running into some issues, Bellana tries a skeletal dog. No, skeletal lock. And uh, she's try she's as <laughs> she's trying a big cgi monster comes out and uh again cooks harry's shit just like in kes's vision voyager takes off and the bioship gives him a blast from a harmful ray but voyager escapes yeah uh tom paris has fallen out of his seat 
and has to scramble back up to hit the button to warp them out of there. Yeah. So seatbelts probably would have been helpful. They never built them. And there's a lot of people always, well, we saw it in the TNG this week. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I know we'll talk about it. But they're they're slowly turning around because the ship is being warped. <laughs> it's maybe the worst acting I've ever seen. Riker and Oh, Picard. particularly from Riker. Oh, they're it's so, so bad. It's really not good. It's like he got the brief doing it in slow-mo. But oh, I'm sure we'll talk about it <laughs> yes. for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um... Anyway, um, th- again, they escape. Kess tells Janeway that uh, these guys are the real problem, not the Borg. Everyone at home, these guys are scarier than the Borg. Yeah, we get it. Uh, We're upping the stakes. These guys are tougher than the Borgs. Harry is in bad, bad shape. The doctor decided to try using Borg nanoprobes to uh, to save him. He's reprogrammed them for the task. Um, they also look at some Borg logs that they downloaded. There's this new species, 8472, and it's kicking the Borg's ass every time they meet. But, whoops, these boys fly out of those black holes, and that means the Northwest Passage is a no-no probe. Yeah. A no-no probe. Um, They either go there and look, or maybe just simulate it, I don't know. But a whole fucking huge Babylon 5 fleet of these bad boys. (laughs) Everything in this episode is very B5. Uh, Kess now says that their intent, uh, that's an invasion in which they will destroy everything. So again, we get it. Yeah, they're not from here. They're from a place where they are all alone, and they hate all of this. Yes. Chaco and Janeway have another talk about turning around and settling somewhere in the Delta Quadrant. Um, Chaco seems ready to give in, but not Janeway. She goes to the holodeck and chats with Da Vinci some more. Old Leonardo suggests praying to God, but she sees a funny shadow on the wall and has a crazy idea to make a deal with the devil. I was so fucking nervous, by the way, that Janeway was going to go pray to Christian God about this problem. Well, she had that religious awakening not that long ago. Exactly. I was like, fuck, this show could do it. This is the one that's been walking back the card. Laughing at people and deriding them who have faith. Um... Anyway, she's going to make a deal with the Borg to um, try to get get through their space by giving them the doctor's new treatment that's going to, I don't know, stop the whatever the 8472 guys do when they, when they slice you up good. Uh, they got too much DNA. That's right. <laughs> it's just way too much. It's too much of it. Everybody thinks this idea is wild. Um, she's going to guarantee the deal by putting all the info in the doctor's program and then like wiping it if she needs to. Yep. Chaco, uh, he does an Indian thing with a parable. <laughs> parable? Yeah, he tells the he tells the parable that you and I know as the frog and the scorpion, but I guess it got around to him as the fox and the scorpion. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he thinks they'll definitely be betrayed. You know how uh, foxes are crossing rivers all the time? Yeah. The this fox- is kind of the main thing they do. Swimming. Uh, foxes love water. That's what I know about them. Uh, she tries to make Chaco feel guilty. And then they begin their plan to approach the Borg and make a deal. Uh, A Borg cube puts them in a tractor beam. Janeway's beamed over to the cube. She's in the middle of negotiating when some of them uh, CGI Species 8472 ships pop out of a singularity and blow up a bunch of cubes and an entire Borg planet. The cube holding uh, Voyager flies off, still has them tractored, and we get it to be continued. On to Season (sighs) 4. So this is the point where you ask me what this episode was about. Yeah, first I'm going to ask you, is there something else we can call these bad boys, these aliens? I'm tired of calling uh, them Species 8472. I want to call them something else. 
Oh, shit. I feel like we see these idiots in Star Trek Online. Oh, yeah. What are they called in that? I'm trying to remember. God damn it. You well, haven't played 2,000 hours of this for nothing. Undyne. They're the oh. Undyne. All right. Well, let's call them that, maybe. No, we can't. They're, in the, they're only in the Klingon War arc, which is the first arc. Um... Anyway, fine. What is that, it about? It turns out they're shapeshifters, also, and they what take the place of a Klingon ambassador and later a Klingon general. Isn't that what the regular shapeshifters do? Cool. Yeah, yeah, same stuff. All right, cool. Uh, These guys can do that, but they got weird bio ships. What? Uh, what was it? What was it about? Uh, first of all, Ben No taked it. Oh wow. Uh, I wrote. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Okay. What's that worth? That turn of phrase. I wrote four, but that must have been a typo. I definitely meant to write one. (laughs) uh, Janeway has uh, really only got a couple of vague hints about Species 8472 from Kess. Yeah. But she's pretty confident that she'd rather deal with the Borg. I mean, Kess tells her exactly that. Kess tells her her opinion exactly is that they are much more dangerous than the Borg. Yes. So, yeah, I think she just goes with whatever Kess tells her. Yeah. And uh, we've seen him kill a lot of Borgs. Oh, they for sure strong. And uh, Harry's got, like, weird things growing out of his mouth, so... They did take a shot at Voyager. Yeah, like, they made a... They made now, Janeway hasn't seen one of these boys yet. They made. But they're t- not handsome. They made TP fall out of his seat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a dumb, it's a dumb compromise and a dumb way of thinking about things. All right. Uh, nevertheless, I think approaching an old enemy to make an alliance is something that you would see in Star Trek. It's just. Yeah. Also, we don't get too much with the Borg in this one. She also doesn't make really any attempt to talk to sp- these species eight four seven two boys. Yeah, she tries to pull them up on the little Haley thing. Tries to hail them. She could have said, "Hey, listen, we hate the Borg. Yeah, we hate these guys. We're with you. We come from. We also come from a place where we're alone. They don't need to know how, that this part's not true. About you leave us alone, and we'll send you a picture of a real cool fractal. The Borgs hate this picture. <laughs> if you send this picture, they'll be really upset." They cannot look at this picture. It's a really good prank. It fucks them up. It's like, you know the one where it looks like a tuning fork with a third peg, but then you're like, but wait a minute. (laughs) But which side? But what? Is it in the front? Is it on the back? This isn't all connected up right. It's like that, but it's in... Is it 3D? It's in 18 dimensions or something. (laughs) Data could tell you all about it. Uh... Anyway, I gave it a one. What did you think? Uh, I had um, I went with all of the stuff that she's got to do with Leonardo on the holodeck, and um, she's really stuck. She's stuck in a real hard. You could call it a no-win scenario, but then she just she comes up with another option that wasn't that she no one would have thought was there first. So I had there's no such thing as a no-win scenario because she knows the Borg is bad, but then Kess tells her all about how bad these guys are. And what are you going to I mean, do? They had other options. We could go home. That's a loss, too. Like, if we go back to the Kazon space. space. Not infinite in extent. Yeah. I don't understand. Well, we'll get into it. Um, 
They could go fuck around at the bars on wormhole or not the bars on. Yeah, no, the bars on wormhole location. <laughs> Wait for they it to already, come back. They did something there. What if we went back and thought about that yep. some more? I know. I'm surprised. Let's go back there. I'm surprised they didn't do that at the time. Um, so for me, it was a five. I figure that's a Star Trekky thing where there's a no win scenario. But then you know, if you just look at the shadow on the wall for long enough, then you can stare off into the distance and say, "I've got it." Yeah, 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 yeah. She's like, a higher power? What about the Borg? <laughs> That's what you were talking about, right? Right. Leonardo, is that what you were talking about? Is that what you were talking about? <laughs> no, I meant Christian God. But what if you used a gasoline engine? I know about those. Have you thought about that? <laughs> I'm a genius inventor like you. But what? Hold on and bear with <laughs> me. By the way, she's such a fucking egomaniac. Oh my god! This is this is the this is data playing poker with the three geniuses. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is she's gonna go to Leonardo da Vinci's workshop and tell him do it like a hawk? If you make your flying machine better, it'll fly better. I'm a, I'm from the future, but I'm not gonna tell you. You're gonna think I'm from the fucking 1400s or whatever. You're gonna be super impressed. Anyway, yeah, it was a five for me, but going into execution. <clears throat> The problem with this lose-lose take is that it throws the character of Janeway into a weird zone where you wonder what Starfleet even is. <laughs> because she thinks the good solution... By the way, I was surprised. In my memory, Chakotay didn't point out all the things that were wrong with this plan because normally <laughs> the writers don't like to give up their own game like that. Where they're like, we're going to yeah. make them do a bad thing. But yep. like... Uh, no, Chagoda has a real mad scene towards the end of this one. <laughs> he tells her, like, hey, look, regardless of whether He's or like, not I you can't can... believe I built you a bathtub. <laughs> regardless of whether or not you can trust the Borg, and my take is that you cannot, you're also going to be selling out this entire quadrant and maybe everybody. Like, these guys is just going to keep trying to conquer everybody. If they beat these uh, new baddies, they're just going to go back to assimilating everything in sight. So, like, maybe we shouldn't help them. Maybe it's immoral to help them. And she's like, fuck you, though. You don't love me anymore? Anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway. So she has a distinctive way of talking. <laughs> so, this, so this episode. I, I, this is where we're both doing impressions of her. And we don't. Other than when we're excited about a clock, we really don't do that. So <laughs> It's a clock. It's <laughs> a clock. <laughs> he, gets, he goes into some clock spaces this week, too. Um. Okay, so whether the episode is about uh, making an alliance with the devil or whether it's about no in, uh, uh, no in scenario, the problem's the same because the, no matter what she does, she kind she ends up basically fucking over everybody. Um, a lot of this episode <coughs> is a horror episode, and those are always dumb, as I just pointed out in the previous one we did. Yeah, bodies piled up and spooky dreams. The doctor actually saying out loud he's being eaten alive. Like yep. we get it in front of a, a conscious uh, Harry Kim, by the way. Yeah, he they talk he definitely about could hear that part, and he's just sitting there with his eyes open, and weird things growing out of his mouth, like. Bleh. Uh, but we get it, spooky, scary. Um, they go full neuter on the Borg, so take that TNG. We have somebody, oh, yeah. <clears throat> way scarier and also more evil. Yeah, yep, yep. The Borg in this one are doing what Worf always does in TNG demonstrating that the enemy is very powerful. Yes. 
by getting beat by up. getting shot or beat up right yeah yeah uh so yeah again suck on it tng uh good call eliminating kim from this episode by putting him on a gurney i like that <laughs> yep he, he doesn't have any lines after that um all the cgi is very bad it's not good i can't imagine it looked good at the time even this green screen board cube with Janeway in the end is just so bad when she's in the cube. It's, um, you know amazing. how, you know how I read the memory alphas after yeah. I watch the shows and I get behind the scenes details that universally bum you out. Uh, in both the, this week's deep space nine episode and this episode, hmm. the, Someone in the production team pats himself on the back real good for the CGI <laughs> and takes a crack at Babylon 5. Jeez. And in both of these episodes, when I saw them, I said, oh, they're using the same computers as Babylon yeah, 5. Like, how would you even be able to tell the difference? It looks the uh, same. They farmed it out to the same company as Babylon 5. The only decision that they're doing is that they're only using spaceships, so you never see people marching. Well, that's, and that is a good call. That is the correct decision to make, but it has nothing to do with the quality of the CGI. Yeah, the CGI looked fucking identical to me. Um, all that being said, it's like peak CGI technology in the mid nineties was, can we make it look wetter? <laughs> I know. Right. But it like shiny, like it's wet, like a wet shine. You can yeah, make it that, a right? real wet shine. Yeah, that's true. Uh, at least it wasn't about a doctor stranded alone on a ship or maybe like a hollow doctor who's a Jekyll and a Hyde or anything <laughs> like that. Like something was, they were trying to do something this week and for that they earned four points. Uh, ben gave it a two. He said, more holodeck, bummer. Yeah, I wasn't excited about that. Um, Again, he's talking about how this guy looks all dwarf-like. But it is John Reese davies in case that hasn't been clear. Yeah. Uh, he says, the entire Borg, this is almost completely unearned. I don't know what he meant by that. We've all been expecting this, says Janeway, but the preparation, we've seen none. Yes, that's true. They found that Borg a while back in the jungle, and that's the last we heard about it. Yeah, and they do not bring up at all that Chicote was part of the Borg Collective five weeks ago or whatever. <laughs> yeah, hey, do you have anything to say about this, Jocko? You were a Borg. No. Um, uh, yeah, and then again, it, it's it, he says it doesn't feel any different like these new guys. They're, they don't actually feel scary or whatever. He wishes they'd go back to just fighting the Borg. And then, yes, a two-parter over the season break. Will Kim finally die, he asks. No, they feel less scary because there's not the weird existential thing. Uh, We're all uh, going to become one hive mind. will become part of the Borg. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, these are just... Uh, Jerks. Wet Mewtwo's <laughs> from another dimension. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are kind of Mewtwo-y. <laughs> they're just wet Mewtwo's. It's nothing. <laughs> Yeah, but they say stuff in Kess's mind, like the weak will perish, or whatever. They're, I mean, they're less menacing than any of the menacing aliens in Babylon 5. That's okay. all I'm going to say about it. Yes, but to be fair, how menacing are the normal Borgs that we see that are, lurch around like bad zombies and like very slowly move their arms back and forth? <laughs> yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're not great. They're, but they're designed not to be individually menacing. Right, right, right. right. Um, I agree. <clears throat> Uh, I'm splitting the difference between you and Ben on this one. I have it as a three. Okay. There's almost 
too much stuff happening in this episode. Yeah, maybe like, if they weren't afraid of arcs, they could have like dragged out some Borg stuff. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, obviously you could cut the Da Vinci crap oh, right away. I wish they had. But the main problem, you're right, is that they're taking what should have been done as a slower arc, you know, starting with way back when they found the Borg. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because they and teased that it. like it was an arc. They find that Borg in the last scene of that episode. Yes. So then the next episode is all about that shit. Yeah. And, and then, then nothing then, yeah. for five weeks. Then, f- then this. The, the fucking holodeck resort and other nonsense. Right. Uh, and that, I understand that that is that's some shit that came directly from Paramount where they're like, no arcs. Ugh, yeah. We know what we're doing. If people watch in syndication in the future, they're going to be so confused if they're mid-arc. Okay. Right. What a weird pat on the back that is to yourself. We're definitely going to get to the amount of episodes you need for syndication, and people are going to watch it and be so invested that we can't confuse them. Also, that it's like just an unsolvable problem. That TV audiences are so stupid that if they jump in mid-arc, and there's no way we could write some small progress in yeah. this episode. Yeah, have a contained yeah. story within an that, arc. Exactly, yeah. right. Well, they must have so known the writers anyway. they were working with, though. <laughs> well, yeah, they're right about the Voyager writers, <laughs> at least so far. But By the end of this episode, in which they discover a new alien race, they've got a solution to present to the Borg. Like, they figured out how to... They met these guys one minute ago, and they've got a super weapon they can trade to the Borg? Yeah, it was all so fast. Janeway racking her brains took 40 seconds. Yeah. She's deep in thought for a few seconds in front of a hologram. Like, she doesn't... There's no... You don't get any idea about passage of time. Yeah. So, the pacing is real bad. Yeah. Uh, the CGI is the pits, as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, the story builds a lot of tension for the summer break, I guess. But I don't know how excited I would have been about any of... But, I mean, I was way checked out on Voyager by the time this came around, but... Yeah. And I didn't watch like, it till you. I don't think later. I would have been excited about Species 8472. And ooh, they're working with the Borg. Because for one thing, you really damage the Borg when you have 15 of those ships together. Yeah. Like, they're menacing as one ship. Yeah, the power of that one ship that they meet the first time and then meet again at Wolf 359 and goes all the way to Earth and everything. To then go, well, now we got 15 of them. And then like, oh, now we're going to have 100 of them. Ah, uh, I forget about it. They're all dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, they knew to rub as hard as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a three. Okay. And I will give them the standard three on world building as well. Okay. Because we don't learn enough about Species 8472 or like where they come from. Sure. Or about Borg space. The main idea that's presented here that's new is that the borg are not innovators sure that they are assimilators and that's why that's what's supposed to make it credible that schmullis has come up with something to deal with these guys and the borgs have just been like i don't know man we just keep trying the nanoprobes we've actually we've had some um we've been sending people out to assimilate other species in the meantime to try to learn something that might help but like nah no one's met these guys I mean, the Borg have a medical problem. They should go assimilate some Vidians. I, I would find it hard to believe they haven't assimilated those dudes before. But if the, Vidians, have, right? if the Vidians ain't met 8472, it doesn't sound like the Borg are good enough at research that they're going to be able to apply anything. They're like a week from here at Borg speed. <laughs> yeah. so. um, 
Yeah. So it's just like, obviously we're trying to introduce something new. We're trying to do something big. We're about to learn about the Borg and here's this new species, etc. But I don't think we got enough depth to really score big world building points here. I just awarded them the standard three. Yeah. And it also kind of depends on how you feel about it. Like, so if you accept that, that this is a real fucking sea change that, now there's this new species and they're even worse and now there's a new alliance and it's gonna affect what's going on in this whole quadrant and it's also like but does it suck it might suck though uh let me just jump into what i got uh we heard there were borgs out here well here they are what does janeway mean when she says there's no way around borg space uh exactly what's it mean what, they what does just, it mean? Normally they give us a throwaway, like it'll take us two and a half years to circumnavigate it or something. Or like to go around it. And like, okay, like give us something. But she, they don't even bother this time. You just can't. Can't get around it. Uh, the Northwest Passage, all full of black holes. Um, the Doctor spends just a few months working on counteracting Borg assimilation tech and thinks he's cracked it, maybe. <laughs> yep. So it doesn't even seem like he's working on it full time because we've seen him go on like six adventures since then. Oh, yeah. He's been doing a lot of other stuff, including hanging out with uh, poets and learning to murder. <laughs> Borg tubules, which the doctor claims are capable of penetrating any force field or alloy, which seems crazy. Dumb. Yeah, it seems like a dumb yeah, it's thing. Very, it's a very dumb idea. Uh, I never really know how the Borg work. So, like, they definitely have an atmosphere in their cubes in this and every other episode where they visit the cube. But yeah, and also by the way, they seem to be almost entirely made up of assimilated humans. Yeah, they're always there's almost always humans or maybe some of those species that look just like humans. There's very rarely only when they're making a special point of it, really. Is even in the fucking even when Chakotay met the weirdos who had half unassimilated, mm-hmm. they had to be from Alpha Quadrant species because they were not paying someone to invent a bunch of new makeups. Yeah, we need uh, we need some new Delta Quadrant species that are also sort of Borg. You know, go for it. Um, the Breen use organic-based vessels, according to Tuvork. So do these new aliens. These new aliens seem to be able to create black holes and emerge from them at will. This would have been towards the end of season... Three. Five of Deep oh. Space Nine? Yeah, yes. Had the Breen showed up yet? No. They've just been a throwaway, right? Like Every time uh, you need know, to talk about something weird, you talk about the Breen. The kid with the purple disruptors, they mentioned it might be Breen. Yep. Yeah, this is why it's so annoying when the Breen show up in DS9, because it kind of ruins all of that work. So like, he, now you can't use them to just say whatever you want anymore. Now they're real and on screen. And also, anyway, keep, are you going to go back? Let's keep a fucking eye out to see whether or not they use organic ships. That's what I was going to say. don't remember that. Because, like, now you have to go back and make sure that you all the stuff you said about the Breen before fits. And they're not going to do that. Um, Skeletal transporter lock. I don't know how that's different. You know. <laughs> well, it uses the minerals in your bones, Matt. I know, but that's, like... Why they have got no calcium in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> I'm just confused about it. I don't know why it's different from being... Because up- bones are based on strontium out here. It's very rare <laughs> to have bones at all. Uh, obviously, some universe-altering shit going on in this episode in terms of the power structure of the Quadrant. <clears throat> but some of it's quite dumb and hack. I gave it a four. Also, how hack is it that Voyager rolls up on the Borg right as this invasion happens? 
Yeah, it's, so it's unclear. Do they say how long they've been messing with them? But it could. Well, I mean, it couldn't have been the that. Board far. can't do anything. Yeah. To these dudes, eight of these ships can Voltron together and create a Death Star that blows up a planet. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, they mentioned that every time, according to the logs, every time they've engaged, they've lost. But it isn't clear how long it's been happening. It doesn't. It just doesn't feel like it can have been very long. And by the way, would it have been better if they'd rolled up on Borg space and all of the Borg were dead? Yeah. Like, just everywhere they went, it's just ravaged Borgs? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been better, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Ben gave it a three in world building. I don't know if we already said it. Geiger-esque aliens, organic baddies. Uh, they're basically the Borgs, Borg, psychic overlords. Cool. We don't know anything about these guys, but here's what I fully expect we would find out. Hmm. They're hyper-individualists. Sure, 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 sure. Right? You have to assume they're the exact opposite of the board, <laughs> right. right? Yes, they're, only biotechnology. Should be, it should be that there aren't that many of them, but they're individually extremely powerful. Yep. Yeah, yeah they're like nine only feet. Into, only into biotechnology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, until they did that Voltron thing, that was kind of Borg. Shouldn't have done that. Um, he also gave it a three in characterization. He said, Janeway's inspiring last words before the Borg crush them are think good thoughts. I had the same note. Janeway really slaps down Chaco for privately expressing his concerns. Sort of like a good first officer should, I'd think. Yeah, but she's yeah, not she's good not at this. used to it. <laughs> she's not a good... She's not... He's a real ass kisser, and she... <laughs> Well, she feels betrayed. weird coming from him. She feels super betrayed and is ve- tries to guilt trip him like crazy. She's still mad after about hearing that Ensign Hickman does a Janeway impersonation down in F deck or whatever. Yeah, when things were less scary, she was able to play that off like a oh, uh, I'm I'm gonna have to ask her about that. Oh, but now she's fucking pissed off about it. Listen, I know I have a distinctive voice. You don't have to tell me. Uh, so he gave it a three. Um, Janeway has a dumb new Hollow program. This is me now. Along with Leonardo da Vinci, because she's a scientist first, I guess. She likes to pretend... She's a fucking egomaniac. Likes to pretend she's a great inventor of the Renaissance, but really she's just from the distant space future, so that's lame. Also, she's making quips when she thinks the Borg are about to kill them. Think good thoughts. Uh, Chicote points out that she does impressions of people when she reads their words. Janeway is willing to sell out Species 8472 and the rest of this quadrant and risk being betrayed by the Borg in order to get home. Something that she rarely seems interested in. She also coldly says she'll wipe out the doctor's program if she has to. To avoid the Borg from getting the information. Also, uh, as always, she is mad cocky and just bosses the Borg collective around as soon as she starts dealing with them. Yeah. Uh, Kess has crazy telepathic powers these days. That's more of a plot device than anything else. Chaco still loves Janeway and vice versa, I guess. Uh, he seems ready to pack it in and find a planet to settle on, maybe make some more bathtubs. He, He's got his business lined up. He Wooden al- bathtubs. <laughs> he also thinks every species acts according to its nature. Um, he thinks <laughs> what is really courageous is turning around and finding something else to get them home, back in Kazon space or whatever. And he raises the real argument that the Borg shouldn't be helped. If they win, they'll keep assimilating everything in sight. So this was really a two-person show. Janeway bad, Chaco good, sort of. Um, yeah. I give it a five. Oh, I couldn't see my way clear to a five. Okay. Uh, 
I thought Chakotay raising objections to Janeway's plan was interesting, but I thought that it seemed like he was emoting a real hatred for the Borg, and I don't know where it came from. Well, because his wife... No, that's not it. Um, that's not that one. His, um, his dad, uh, Don Alejandro de la Vega too. um no i don't know can't figure it out it just seemed unmotivated like i he shouldn't obviously why would he like the bork and the points that he was making were fine but he uh he got real mad did you know he used to be in the maquis i did know that about him okay sometimes i forget they fought the borg a lot right (laughs) sometimes i forget and then i remember it and i go that was weird yeah uh janeway is not at all cautious in this episode no and that is definitely a well-established part of her character, but it's not the part I like. Sure. Kess's visions. You said you described them as a plot device. Yeah. And they, again, this show is packed to the gills and they do not spend 10 seconds with Kess. Nope. To see what she makes of any of this. No one is even surprised. They're all like, oh, of course, she's got the telepathic powers. It's like, I know she's well, displayed some uh, some stuff in the past, but like, I don't think she's just getting alien messages or anything. She also like she and Neelix are along for the ride, mm-hmm. and they're about to make a deal with one race of terrible space monsters. Yeah, and help them defeat another race of terrible space monsters so that they can get home, and it's like. You can give me one scene where she's like, this isn't my fight, but I guess I'm going to stick it out with these people. I don't know anything, right? Yeah. Instead, she just has mystical visions that come true. Yeah. And... And again, there's no, there's nothing behind it. There's no uh, character behind it. It literally no. is just so that Janeway has a reason to be scared. Uh, so I gave it three points. Okay. Did you have quick hitters? Yeah, sure. Uh, again, uh, we got Gimli as Leonardo da Vinci. It's an mm-hmm. interesting choice. He's, I th- feel like he's Welsh. John Rhys Davies. Yeah, and his Italian accent like, not amazing. Ah, whatever. You're Italian this week. <laughs> yeah. Um. By the way, I love I, when, wrote, I love when they have a character who's supposed to be Italian speaking in English the entire time, except randomly using Italian words. Yes. You're like, what are we even doing? Don't do that. Um, and then I wrote Janeway is getting way sidetracked in this new Assassin's Creed. She hasn't killed even one corrupt priest yet. Yeah. <laughs> She's got nothing uh, but markers on her map that are begging her to go explore. Exactly. Definitely go right into the region of space that the Borg won't even enter. That yeah. seems like a smart play. They think, oh, it's just some black holes. We could fly through those, right? What I've heard is they're really easy to escape from if you like, if you get caught. Yeah, that's what they're known for. I've heard it's real easy. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, they could. You probably use one to slingshot back to the past, and uh, oh, then they could not get caught in that. Now we've already gone through that. Everyone chooses. Uh, they just choose to do it again. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, Chicote compliments her impression of Picard. I didn't realize she was doing one. She didn't shout even once in that whole speech. That's true. She just sounded kind of serious. Like that was it. They, um, they are five light years from where the battle took place. 
of Janeway, of course, orders them to go there at warp two. <laughs> Every time I hear warp two, I'm going to do this. Yep. That's a six month trip. Yeah, no problem. You didn't know that much time passed? That's how much time passed in this episode. They have a guy on the show who can look it up <laughs> and say, no, nah, you got to do warp four. It'd be so great if that I happened. Get it. I get it. You don't want her to run up there real fast for some reason. <sighs> oh, and by the way, it's not like it's not like no one in the show has... It's not like it's never happened that someone has been worried about this. This is one of the reasons they almost mutinied against fake Picard. Said he was fucking right. slow driving. <laughs> he down to impulse or whatever. He was fucking slow riding his way around the fucking galaxy. And they were like, what is going on with this guy? We have to meet this rendezvous. Like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Um, the smart play, as always, is to send a guy who had Borg technology and got taken over last month into the cube. <laughs> it's always the smart move. Janeway's entire argument for continuing seems to be, well, we're here already. We might as well stick to the plan. Yeah, she's like, I'm not ready to quit yet. Yeah. Like, well, um, I guess when the ship's all blowed up, that'll be the time. And then, uh, cool, Janeway's going to take advice from the holodeck. <laughs> well, it would have been good if she did. If she, like you said, if she just started. If she just prayed on it, yeah. I'm just, I'll go pray. I'm going to pray on it. Uh, yeah. And then I don't remember why I wrote this. Does this make any sense to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like this. This is like a Ryan I wrote, email. For, uh, I wrote, why did you do that? And then, fuck, man, I don't know. I'm like an ancient bug. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> were you. Were, did you fall asleep while you were doing this? <laughs> Maybe I had a cool dream. <laughs> <laughs> I gave best actor in this one to Schmollis and worst actor to conscious Harry Cam. I thought he was uh, catatonic. <laughs> I thought he was trying to play catatonic until Janeway said he's conscious, and then I was like, "Yeah, he is." They show him weird. his eyes are kind of open. It's like, oh boy, <laughs> he'd uh, well, whatever. It was a good choice to just put him on that fucking bed. Um, I don't have any new quick hitters. We talked about all of it. <laughs> we did. It's, That's rough. It wasn't a good episode. <laughs> Yeah, Ben's only quick hitter is that he didn't know this was a two-parter when he started watching it. Well, they sped through everything. You might think they were just going to come up on the fucking conclusion. In um, in third place last week was oh. TOS. This week we watched The Empath. Enterprise beams down to the second planet in the Minarian star system, hmm. looking to evacuate researchers studying at the dying star, but they're missing. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the ship's got to take off for a couple of days because there's a big-ass solar flare, but it doesn't seem scary to anyone. They're just going to leave the away team behind. Oh, the atmosphere will protect them. As soon as Enterprise is gone, they watch a video that shows the two researchers uh, covering their ears to block out some kind of sound and then winking out. Yep. And I don't know why we needed to have that, because it immediately happens to the crew. It's like a warning for them, but it happens right away. Yeah, it's like, hey, uh, you guys are, we're going to put the, we're going to connect the dots for you. This thing happened to those people, and now it's happening to the crew. It's like, great. Just killing time, I guess. They wake up on the stage in a blacked-out theater, maybe at USC. 
and uh, Spock identifies a life sign in the distance. And they find a woman on a weird 60s furniture that's Boy. like maybe a couch or an altar. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, like the, like every home in the 60s had. It was one of those couch altars. <laughs> it was, like, it was am weird. Am I worshiping? But like, am I lounging? What's happening? It looked, did, I'm right. It looked of its time. Uh, yeah, I'll just say that uh, this is maybe one of the most 1960s hours of television that I've ever seen. <laughs> just all around. And, uh, and this woman treats them to a mime performance. Yep. And it turns out that it's because she doesn't speak. Doesn't even have vocal cords. Uh, McCoy works all that out scanning her. There's a lot of her staring directly into the camera. And like... In real close up. Moving her head around from side to side while some real 60s music plays in the background. Uh, McCoy also gives her a name. Yeah. He calls her Jem. Don't worry. He won't, he won't tell you why. There's no good reason. Just because. And uh, suddenly two aliens that look a lot like the Telosians from the Menagerie appear. And uh, they identify themselves as the Vians and they zap away Kirk's phaser and they trap him in a rainbow force field. They're different big-headed aliens in shiny silver robes. I mean, they're not played by old women this time. <laughs> they're played by old men. That's right. That's how and they're their different. Heads are, their foreheads are a little different. Yep. Still big, though. That's how you ones. know they're Vians. Yes. Um, and they're doing something to Jim. They're tormenting her somehow. And the way this force field works is it draws energy from your body and it weakens you the more you try to fight it. So you're just gonna have to sit here and watch all of this. Right. They've extracted something from her and they leave with whatever that was. When the away team checks on Jim, uh, she somehow sucks a cut right off of Kirk's forehead and onto hers. Yeah, what did he get hurt in his initial? Uh, how did how did he get that? Who hit him? Uh, no one hit him, did but I think over? the uh, he fell over when the uh, Vians when they beamed him, whipped that phaser oh, out of his hand right, or something. Right. Yeah. Um. So it shows up on her head, and she does pain face for a little bit, and then it vanishes from her head too. So she's uh, some kind of healer, mm -hmm. and McCoy knows all about this. Yep. He's like, ah, I got it, I got it, I got it. She's an empath. <laughs> He's got to be first. He was like, ah, oh, she must be some kind of telepath, maybe? I don't know. Hold on. Let me, uh, I got another idea. And now Spock's uh, tricorder is showing that on another part of this blacked out stage, there's a whole bunch of equipment. So they go on over there, and there's some computers and some Lexan rods. Hmm. And also there are two researchers in big empty Brocktoon tubes. Thank you for getting in my notes again. Now I need to know I got <laughs> I know I gotta change my password and I'll do that as soon as we're done here. Though I said Brocktoon tubes. And there's three more of these tubes and they're labeled Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. So now the one of the Vian shows up again and he's like, Oh, the researchers were killed by their own imperfections. And Kirk starts to give him one of these Federation speeches, but he must have given Spock a look that I didn't see or whatever, because he doesn't even intend to finish this speech. This is just for Spock to uh, come by and uh, give him the old Vulcan nerve pinch or uh -huh. whatever. Yep. So they knock one of these old boys out and they, uh, but it was only, he's only pretending he's not really knocked out. As soon as they start to walk away, he gets up and his buddy comes out from behind a thing and they're like, 
Ah, they, maybe they've got the vital ingredient. Yeah, they've like another. The camera's doing all kinds of stuff in this one, um, probably because they didn't do anything with the set, so they decided to do some camera stuff. So yeah, the camera's behind the two of them as they stare at the group as they walk away from twenty feet away. They don't see that the dudes are just standing behind them watching them. Um. So they get up to the surface again, and it's in like a windstorm. They can't reach Enterprise on their communicators so they head out over land they cover six kilometers in eight seconds and they reach the original research station and there's scotty in the search party oh but oh but kirk sees the vines they're up in the hills yep and he rushes at him but he gets like um he gets slowed down i guess <laughs> just like uh they, just like in wink of an eye it pushed a button but less he, credible he went real slow uh when those guys were standing up in the hills it reminded me so much of the fucking vorgons just watching oh yeah it was kind of a lot like that but worse <laughs> yeah um anyway that scotty was a mirage so forget about all of that mm-hmm. the the vines give kirk this ultimatum or choice or whatever everyone can leave if he stays behind or whatever then mm-hmm. they chain him up and they torture him, and they make Jem watch. Mm. They don't ask him any questions. They, they tell like, him they're testing his courage. It looks like they're making him do the rings in gymnastics. <laughs> yes, they're tormenting him with the rings. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes on for a while, and then they blink back to where McCoy and Spock have been waiting at the altar. So, by the way, that whole thing about everybody can leave was a lie. Yeah. And... Jim starts to use her power to heal Kirk before shying away from the pain. Uh, but when McCoy shouts at her to help him, she goes back and <laughs> does the whole wounds thing. Yeah, McCoy doesn't care about this chick. He cares about his good buddy. Yeah, they speculate about whether using her powers could kill her. And they think it probably could, but that she probably would stop before that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Spock took... Uh, device off of the Viants half an hour ago when I described him neck pinching that guy. Yeah. And he has figured this out to some degree. He's going to he's gonna change it so that it works with his thoughts or whatever. Yeah, yes. Uh, it, it, it's attuned to one individual's brain patterns or something. And he's most familiar with his own. Because he's, he's like fucking standing in the mirror all day looking at his own brain patterns. Anyway, the Vines are back with a new game theory idea to test out on Kirk. Hmm. They need a volunteer for their next torture session, and McCoy has got like an 87% chance of dying. But if they take Spock, he won't die, but he has an even higher chance of getting brain damage. Oh, fun. And uh, Kirk's going to have to choose when they start the experiments. Um, And so then we have one of these scenes, like when they went in the Amoeba, Hmm. where Spock and McCoy are fighting over who gets to die. Yes, they're very eager. Uh, But McCoy wins by knocking out first Kirk and then Spock with a hypo spray. (laughs) Spock really should have seen that coming. Spock really dropped the ball on that. That one is on Spock. He does a sneak attack on fucking Kirk and injects him with the hypo, and then Spock just sits down with his back turned. (laughs) Like, it's not going to happen twice. Uh, So they take McCoy away to torture him, Mm. and uh, when Kirk and Spock come to... Uh, Spock finishes tampering with the device 
but he at this point he and Kirk look at each other and they are thinking the same thing again, which is we're supposed to have this device. We're supposed to figure out how to use this device. Yeah. They want us to leave McCoy behind. Yeah. Um, and they also think that this is all being orchestrated for Jem's benefit. So they transport to the lab. McCoy's there. He is fully dying. He's conscious, though, and he agrees that he's going to die and there's nothing <laughs> that can be done. Right. Jem is uh, cowering over in the corner like a real teapole. Sure, yep. And Kirk wants to force her to heal McCoy, but the Vians put the, him and Spock in the rainbow force field again because it's she's going to have to make the decision to help him herself. Right. And so now they explain their weird game. Uh, this whole solar system is going to be real fucked when the star explodes. Uh, yeah, it will. But they have the power to transport the inhabitants of one of the three planets to safety. <laughs> it's weird, but yes. And they're trying to figure out which one. Yeah. And maybe it's Gem's people, but Gem's people are weird. And they want to see if they've got the capacity for self-sacrifice. Because if not, fuck them. Sure. So she has to give up her life for McCoy's to save her planet. Though she doesn't know that. Uh, they also tell Kirk and Spock that they've been her teachers and just generally great guys. <laughs> yeah, they they love Kirk the whole time. By the end, they're sold on all the Starfleets. They're like, listen, you guys are super great. We just want to make sure these guys don't suck. Yep. So she goes over and starts to heal McCoy, but she pulls back at the last minute. Well, it's and- painful. It, yes, and McCoy starts to cough and sputter again, so I guess whatever she did was temporary. Mm. Oh, uh, well, what she did was she fed him a bad fish. She didn't feed him the, the good fish. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so she goes, But she goes back to finish the job, and heroic old McCoy pushes her away. Yeah. And at this point, Spock has decided that we're back at the OK Corral. Yes. And he tells Kirk, listen, this force field is powered by our emotions, which is not what they said. Yeah. <laughs> And if we can just be, like... Super chill. Totally emotionless. Mm-hmm. No problem. This, force field to go this away. This force field will wink out, and then we can get away. We both have to do it, though. But I'm not going to mind Meldu this time, because you probably still remember from the OK Corral. You know how to do it. Just do it. So, sure enough, they fucking walk right out of the force field. Yep. They take the other device from the other Vian. And at this point, Kirk says, look... She tried to help McCoy. That's enough. And, um, yeah, eventually he just convinces them. Yeah, he basically shames them. He's like, look, what are you doing? That's enough. He goes, you got you guys. You're the ones. You've lost your humanity. It's you. In this experiment. And that is enough to make one of the guys go, ah, oh, fuck. And, and the guy's like, yeah, fuck it. What, who cares? <laughs> yeah. And they, they heal McCoy, and they float up into the sky with Jem. Yep. Presumably to save her people. I guess. But um, Enterprise is not going to stick around to find out. No. They just talk about how great Jem was on the bridge, and then they fuck right off. Yep. <clears throat> oh, another thing they're not going to do is offer any aid to any of the other inhabited civilizations on the planet. Well, you know, in, Prime in Directive, I'm sure. Prime, Prime Directive. Yeah. Huh. What was this one about? Well, uh, Ben... 
has uh, putting the well-being of others ahead of your own is the quality that, uh, I don't know, makes a civilization survive. Not exactly new to Trek or sci-fi, he says, and he gave it a four. Um, I'm on the same page. It's our greatest accomplishment as a species is not our technology. It's our compassion and willingness to sacrifice for others. Um, uh, these old boys love it in Kirk when they see it, <laughs> and they need to see it in Jim, and they're shamed by Kirk when he says they, they're the ones who don't have it. And yeah. McCoy points out that um, what won the day was good old-fashioned human emotion. It's a real TOS, and straight down the line, it was a five for me. Uh, yeah, I give it a six. Okay. Um, self-sacrifice is a learned trait and the mark of a moral individual. I almost wrote... I was on... For a while, I had that as part of what I was writing, that it was learned and passed around. There's also a sinister undercurrent here that I think is probably unintentional, where you have these two advanced civilizations running around handing out life and death judgments on these two on this primitive culture. Yep. But I'm going to let them have the point they were trying to make. <laughs> Besides, it's only the uh, alien of the week with super advanced powers who's deciding who lives and dies. So, Well, but it's like the Federation has known about what was happening for... Uh, the research station has been there for six months. Mm-hmm. Presumably, they didn't miss the fact that at least two of these planets were inhabited. Yeah, it's another We one know there have to be at least two, because otherwise, the fact that they can only transport one of the planet's inhabitants, not interesting. Yeah. We don't see anyone on the planet they're on, but... Look, they gave them the standard Starfleet effort of sending four scientists or whatever. Two. So Seemed like it was just two. I didn't know if there were others, and maybe they didn't get into a tube. Uh, I guess maybe they didn't get Brock tuned. I, yeah. I have no idea. But I'm just saying, there clearly weren't many. That, that research station seemed to be one room. So, so I mean, the Federation had six months, which, uh, at least, we don't know when the star's going to actually blow up. Yeah, that's another one of my points for later. They, they definitely could have mounted some kind of it. Like, maybe they don't have the technology to transport an entire planet's population away. Yeah. But they could have done something. Yeah. They could have taken five starships worth of people to drail on, too. Yeah, I don't know if they thought of this yet, but what's good about the Prime Directive is that it protects them. (laughs) So. Is that Picard's worst speech? I wonder. (laughs) I don't know. Does the presence. I mean, he's very proud of it, but it's terrible. Does the presence of little sandwiches help or hinder his point? (laughs) Well, it makes Jordan look like a fucking idiot. (laughs) Oh, the meeting's over. Okay. I guess you and I are just going to stare at each other while I eat just these fucking stand sandwiches. stand in Picard's quarters eating a sandwich. Because I actually worked a double shift, and then I came here. So I am going to eat. Thank you. If I walk through the hall with this sandwich, I'm going to Sonia Gomez it into somebody <laughs> for sure. People are always fucking not... No one looks where they're going when they walk through these fucking weird bendy corridors. So that's why I describe <laughs> it as two advanced civilizations playing life or death games. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. Um, How to do? Execution. Yeah. So Ben's a five. He said, are those guys in the tube mimes or dead guys? <laughs> we saw them on the thing. They're, uh, they're the dead guys. Yeah. Uh, this is painfully boring. The stakes seem super artificial. The lady does not even permanently suffer the injuries. Yeah. It's a nothing episode. They were trying to do an art and nothing about it landed. Yeah. And the empathy lady got, the empath lady got to really do a lot of physical acting. Yeah. Um, uh, but he gave it a five. I gave it a four. Okay. Cinematography. They obviously took a swing here. Yes. Blacked out soundstage, lots of faces in close up. 
I think it's effective in the sense of unsettling, but it makes it look like an episode of a different show. Mm-hmm. The music cues and sound in general are weird in this one. It was weird, dreamy 60s music. Yeah. I, I wrote that they play a variety of inappropriate love themes for Jam. <laughs> yep. And the background sound is grating. Yeah. Um, there's an unnecessary cut back to Enterprise in Act 2 that could have gone. And in general, the episode feels slow to plotting. Sure. You could have introduced the Vian's motives earlier on and had Kirk and Spock debate them. Yep. Jem isn't listening anyway. <clears throat> So they could have these conversations out loud in front of her, right? And they do have lots of conversations out loud the whole time, even though they must know clearly those dudes must are listening. Yeah. Uh, so on the one hand, I wanted to give them some points for trying something. Uh, on the other hand, I don't need to watch this episode again. Yeah, I'm with you. I gave it a four. Um, for me, I did think they were trying to be artistic, but I think they were trying to do that because they were trying not to spend money. And it, I mean, this is the bottle episode of all bottle episodes. They just found an empty studio on the Paramount lot, right? Yeah, they spend like one scene on the Hell Planet uh, place where they normally shoot when they're trying to escape and they run into Mirage Scotty. Um, so that's, it's sort of like it forced them to try to do something more interesting because they were stuck in this bland fucking dark room. Um. Okay, so these aliens have so little shame that they will torture and kill people to get the weird um, emotional or motivational result they're looking for. But Kirk just goes, you guys are the mean ones, though. And then that makes them give in. Yeah. So it's a very uh, standard 60s sci-fi in that way. Um, yet another incredibly powerful species that wants to enslave Kirk's away team. I did also find it dull. I didn't find it insultingly bad, so it was a four. We're in pretty pretty much in agreement this week, huh? Yeah. Uh, for world building, Ben has it as a two. Uh, let's see. The wound is healed, so she must be an empath, he says. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. Um, the Ritter scale for solar flares. Uh, Vians, super strong empaths, and Spock seems to think they aren't all... Uh, that uncommon in the galaxy um empathy here is very literal with the physical sensations being as transferable as emotions i also had it as a two the minarian star system or the planet minara um research station to study the final phases of a star it must be very final stages because those stages can take like millions of years so boy that is the problem huh i never understood this happens in every we'll say that Trek. again this week <laughs> it happens constantly where they are there to observe the dying star or something and you just go man they must know it is like fucking about to go down because yeah ship ships named enterprise have been on site for supernovas on too many occasions it's very strange they time that shit so good in the future um matter energy scrambler similar to the transporter Gamma Virtus 4 has a civilization of mute sentience. 98% of telepathic species send thoughts as well as receive them. These cheeseball aliens and their force fields and beamy powers. This lady's got them healing powers where she absorbs a person's injuries. I wasn't convinced anything that mattered. Anything that happens in this episode is going to matter next week. 
I gave them the standard three. Okay. In addition to what you said, I don't remember if you mentioned the sand bats of whatever. That's I did not. That kind of thing you normally yep. would say. Unfortunately, I spent at least eight minutes of every TOS episode totally glazed over, <laughs> so I'm sure I just missed it. They look like ordinary rocks until they attack. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the, the thing I think is strongly implied here is that the Prime Directive includes letting civilizations die. Yeah. Which, by the way, does not seem to be the case... It doesn't seem to sync up with the Kirk's uh, interpretation of the Prime Directive with regard to the Asian Brush Wars. No, those uh, were well, necessary. Like, we'll, we'll arm them with the exact same flintlocks or whatever. That matches for the Prime Directive. That's what the Prime Directive would say. Uh, but in this one, they just hand wave Prime Directive, and I guess we're supposed to not think, well, I guess that means the Federation was just going to let everybody die. Hmm. But... We'll see that in a, I was going to say in a worse episode of TNG. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> it's not a good one. No. In terms of characterization. Yeah. Uh, Ben's got McCoy wears a pinky ring. That'd be continuity if I considered that characterization because I asked about that in. Um, and it grossed me out. I remember. The For the world is hollow, I think is where I saw the pinky ring. I remember the visceral emotion. Of knowing that he had a pinky ring. Uh, He says everyone is sacrificing for each other. It's a lot. Everyone is being just so self-sacrificing. It's crazy. Well, Um, they had to make exactly one point in this episode. I did not have strong feelings about the characterization in this episode. Mm -hmm. I felt like everyone was on well-trod ground. Mm Mm-hmm. And nothing stood out as either good or bad, so I just gave it the down-the-middle five. I felt mostly the same way. I gave it a six because I thought everyone was very nice and professional and no one did any major um, sex crimes or nope. racisms. No, no one even really talked about sex in this lady. Yeah, so I, I... I feel like it's not exciting to Kirk unless the woman can tell you verbally that she doesn't want it. <laughs> I think that's basically it. Um, yeah, we're not going to hurt you. Kirk pointing a gun at her face from two feet away. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Maybe put the gun down. Uh, Kirk is so amped all the time that the aliens immediately knew he was the nug. Oh, yeah. As soon as he walked in, they're like, this is, no, this is the one, though. This this guy's going to get the job done for us. They were for sure like, this guy, am I right? He's the one we've been waiting for. He's going to make this chick... Fucking kill herself with glory. Uh, again, Kirk shames the aliens into healing and releasing them. McCoy and Spock are so dedicated to Spurk that they put him to sleep rather than make him choose who lives and dies. Uh, McCoy then does the same to Spock, who obviously should have seen it coming. Again, actually nothing wrong character-wise, nothing mind-blowing either, a six. Um, and yeah, you already, Got quick hitters. you already did Ben's, yeah. Um... I remembered this one as soon as I seen that lady. <laughs> it all came back to me. I went, oh, this one. A lot of bad uh, dubbing, voice dubbing, especially in the first few scenes. I don't know what was going on with the uh, ADR. That's a good, uh, a good question. A cheesy plot device that forces the crew to stay on the planet, a dumb solar flare or something. That uh, dust angel that Kirk left on the ground of the research station was a fun touch, I thought. 
Because they would have had to have planned that out because they got to beam him out, right? And they blink yeah. him off the stage and then there's just his little dust. Yeah, and they can only that. do so many takes because I imagine getting an even dust layer mm-hmm. is not trivial. So I thought that was actually pretty good. Um, again, they really wanted to save money. What if the whole thing takes place on a dark sound stage somewhere? Yeah. With just a few spotlights on the characters. On this weird couch. Uh, I hate it when even in universe they can't explain something that the writers came up with. Uh, why gem, Doctor? Well, it's better than hey you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, also gem and Jim are insanely similar, so why do that? There was even a point where he's talking to Jim, and the person doing the subtitles for Netflix thought he said gem. Yeah, and the person who did the subtitles also thought they were talking about the Richter scale a bunch of times when <laughs> yes, it was pretty the clear scale. they weren't. Yeah, but like, why, if you're going to name her something for no reason, don't name her the thing that sounds like Jim. That's just purposely confusing. Yeah, that's a mistake. Um, Cool, cool. These uh, big Brocktoon tubes, that's why I wrote that, TM, um, <laughs> have English writing on them, so everyone is clear about what is happening. Uh-huh, yeah, that, the, this should have for, well... <laughs> Because it's Star Trek, they would have done that anyway, but like, (laughs) it should have been a real clue for Kirk and Spock that this was uh, put on of some kind. Yeah, this is some kind of fakery. Uh, By the way, that fake Scotty was as fake as could be with his big smile and no dialogue. Yep. He didn't have anything dumb in Scottish to say, he just smiled and waved. How great would it have been if there had been a scene where Spock got a little closer to the hut and it was a cardboard cutout? <laughs> and now this show doesn't have anywhere near the self-awareness for that. <laughs> uh, a lot of weird undulating footage of an oily Kirk talking about the cinematography. Like the camera kept like like bouncing back and forth when he was uh, on the rings. Oh, yeah. Uh, Spock adjusted that mind-controlled device in like 30 seconds. He was like, I'm yeah. most familiar with my own patterns. And then 30 seconds later, he was done. He fucking, by the way, he should have done it before McCoy knocked him out. That would have been good. I mean, maybe the whole thing wouldn't have been necessary. Or maybe he should have just paid attention. I thought the whole point was that he knew that McCoy wouldn't be able to do it to him because he'd be looking at him. But then he just sit, he just sat down. His back turned <laughs> yes. to him. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. These it writers was. don't think much of Spock. Shat uses the most Canadian pronunciation possible when he says, The best defense is a good offense, and I intend that, to start offending now. That is Ben's only quick hitter, <laughs> and of course I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, offense and offending. Yeah, that was my last quick hitter. It's, um, what a weird episode. Yeah, um... Let's see. We've got a diaphanous gown over a solid colored bodysuit. Mm-hmm. Around here, we call that the Miranda Jones. That's right. Yeah, we've seen that one. Uh, it must have been hot under those stage lights because you can see Kirk's sweaty hand leave palm prints on the stage. Uh, like the kind that evaporate off. Yep. Uh, when Jim's head wound winked out of existence, I laughed so hard that a cat meowed at me angrily. <laughs> Hey, shut up. It's butt-licking time. Don't make so much noise. 
hey, thank God they didn't give Troy any of this woman's characteristics when they decided she was an empath, right? Like, there must have been a moment where Gene Roddenberry wrote empath and someone was like, hey, we did a whole show about that. Let me go back and see what an empath can do. Um, Yeah, I'm also glad they didn't. I would be surprised if they had done that much research, though. These guys aren't so good at the continuity. Uh, Then I wrote the slowly phasing background tones are making me crazy. Because they're literally, when they're in that lab space, the background's just going... (laughs) for like five minutes yeah the uh these vines have real sphincter mouths real wrinkly makeup applications all around their mouths yeah they're um like test test and albert (laughs) test was a wrestler he had a real butthole mouth no big deal man not anything don't worry about it thought about test in a long time had you thought about albert uh, yeah, a little more. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> uh, and then I wrote, the Federation has, of course, already decided it's not going to evacuate even one person from this system, but mm-hmm. somehow these Vians will be the bad guys in the end. Kirk shamed him real good. I always, always love when someone says, behold, and sure enough, one of the Vians did. <laughs> when Jim went over to go heal McCoy. Behold. I, so I always assume it was the portals voice when you when the timelines video game when you get a behold and it goes behold if you ever have the sound up like they suggest. I've never. Okay. As soon as I saw that message that said best with the sound up, I said nah. <laughs> it's such a lie. Can't believe they never took that off. Um, but uh, now I don't know because you're right. A lot of people do say behold. <laughs> well, to it's a very TOS thing for someone to say. That's because everything in TOS is really about ancient Greece or Rome or something. Yeah. Once again, Matthew, did they bring up the researchers' bodies from the planet? In the did Brock they go and, go and give Jem's people a heads up that some crazy lobe men were running experiments? I'm Seems like they, they got out of there at warp two. Got right the hell out of there. Yeah. I gave a best actor to Viand One. That's uh, what I called the one who eventually decided to free them. Okay. And worst actor to Jem's face. Well, she did a lot for sure. She was working hard at it. Yeah, it just maybe too hard. Yeah, it didn't really land. Maybe too hard. Sixty percent. We're getting there. We're, we're making there. okay time. Yeah, we are. But uh, prepare to slow it down because uh, second place last week was TNG. This week we watched Tin Man. The Enterprise picks up a mission specialist who's got one of them super secret missions for them. So secret that he has to deliver all the details in person. Uh, Starfleet has detected a cool new life form. It looks like a big almond in space. Uh, it's an organic <laughs> it's, spaceship. It's like half, half almond, half pine cone. It could be, it's like a, yeah, it's like a smooth pine cone. It's an organic spaceship or life form or something sitting out there by a yet another dying star. Uh, they're going to go say hi to it, but also the Romulans are going to go say hi to it. And uh, nobody trusts them to do, like, ethical research on the creature. Is that... So are those the stakes? And also they just... Hate the Romulans. Don't want the Romulans yeah. to have it. Okay, that's what I thought the stakes were. They don't want the Romulans to get there first, so we got a race. It is true that Jordy particularly doesn't believe that the Romulans will treat this creature ethically. 
I just I didn't having know. said that, I don't feel like that's Picard's main concern. I was watching it going, is the alien kind of like grant you wishes or something? Like, why <laughs> is it bad if the Romulans get there before you? Anyway, it's a race. Uh, luckily, we're told the Enterprise is faster than those Romulan D-Deradix-class warbirds. So, yep. yeah, they should be good to go. Anyway, um, everybody hates this guy that they bring on board, this Tam Elbrun, uh, because of some old diplomatic disaster that killed a bunch of people. Also, and basically, there was a whole Riva situation. Yeah, where um, he was trying to uh, mediate between two sides, but maybe we'll find out later he got a little bit too... He zones out like me, it seems like. <laughs> and he wasn't really paying attention. Anyway, um, also, he's a weirdo. Well, that's not what I got out of it, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> also, he's a weirdo who reads everybody's minds without any hesitation and it rubs people the wrong way. Uh, yeah, he's a Betazoid. And um, uh, Troy knew him. She used to uh, help him with the therapy when she was at Bej- I almost said Bajoran, Betazoid Medical School or whatever. Uh Anyway, at some point, uh, Tam Elburn admits to Troy that he's already been in touch with the alien this whole time. And uh, as they get close to the life form, a Romulan warbird, warbird overtakes them. It's been blasting its engines at unsafe levels to beat the Enterprise there. We're told that the ship can't even make a return journey because its warp engines will be fucked. They read that on their scanners. Yep. Uh, uh, and don't worry, Tam Elburn then immediately says, I knew that too. I knew it. I read it in the guy's mind. I, can I read it in his mind when he shot us all up. Uh, anyway, uh, they're attacked by the warbird, who is now ahead on the race to Tin Man. The alien, that's what they're calling the alien, is Tin Man. I don't know if they're clear why they gave it that nickname. Yep. The warbird can't make contact uh, with Tin Man, and it arms weapons to destroy it, because it is thinking the same thing as Enterprise is thinking. Can't let these other guys get to it before us. No reason, just can't do it. Uh, but Tam Elbrum warns Tin Man, and it destroys the Warbird and damages the Enterprise in the process. Uh, Tam reveals to Picard that the alien is super depressed, and even though it knows it's wrong, Gomtu plans to die like Tupac. That's why it's hanging out at that dying star. Jordy gets the uh, ship sorta up and running as the second Warbird gets closer. Yeah, there's two Warbirds on their tail. Uh, Troy argues against Tam being allowed to go on board Gom 2. That's what Tin Man's real name is. Um, because Tam is a loony, and he will probably break down over there. Data says to let him go for it, because they've been hanging out a lot. Data volunteers to go with Tam to try to contact Gom 2. The, uh, the second Romulan Warbird shows up and claims right of vengeance. Yeah. So that was not my favorite part of the episode. They go, they're going to go kill that alien. And uh, they say, don't get in the way. That alien's going to die. Killed my brother or whatever. Tam and Data go to the alien creature ship. They like go inside of it. And it, um, it immediately turns on its force fields and makes a nice chair for Tam to sit on. The Romulan Warbird moves in for a fight. Uh, as the Enterprise goes into intercept, the star begins to go Nova. Another example of excellent dying star timing. Gomtu flings the two quarreling vessels out of harm's way, and the star goes Nova. Data materializes on the bridge and says that Tam finally found what he was looking for on good old Tin Man. Um, Data and Troy have a little talky talk in the very dark observation lounge. Data says some things that are painfully stupid, and Troy says that Data does understand humanity after all, or something. This is a thought that just occurred to me. Hmm. 
So I mean, it should be in the quick hitters, but I'm not going to write it down. Did Data go there because that's where Riker went after Measure of a Man? He has a learned behavior. He thinks that's what you do. That's where he found Riker sulking. When you almost win, but don't. Yeah. And that's, I think, what he considers this mission with Tam Elbrun. He almost won, but he didn't because Tam Elbrun and the, the Tin Man disappeared. What the what the shit was this one about? Boy, I I have to say, of all of the episodes this week, this is the one I struggled the most with. Okay. Um, I just at the end, I just said everybody needs to find a place they belong, mm-hmm. and loneliness is a powerful driving force. This is definitely one of the themes that runs through the episode, and Tam Elbrun talks about belonging about fifteen times, and then Data says it at the end. So I'm giving them credit that that's what they mean it to be about. I. It's it's a fine take, mm. but it, this episode also seems to reply that like, boy, you better if you're if you're a lonely old weirdo, you better get in a relationship quick, even if it's <laughs> with right. like a weird space monster <laughs> yeah. or whatever, because otherwise you're a loony, you're a Tam Melbourne style loony. Yeah, you're. And right. I, I I'm not convinced that that's a necessarily a great take. So I gave it four points. Yeah, you're right. It's that's kind of implied. No one's okay on their own. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think you surrounded it. I think that's exactly what it's about. The whole episode's about that. I also was in a space where I was like, yeah, but what's it saying exactly? Is that the problem is what's the message? Yeah, I didn't mention in the the synopsis because there's it wasn't worth it. But yeah, Tam Elbrum the whole time is uh, he's real lonely. He can't. He has um he's got challenges. He can't. He's got tune, autism. Yeah, he can't tune out people's voices so very good. So he is constantly bothered and in pain and upset. And um, he's not good at dealing with groups of people and stuff. He likes to live with weird aliens who do everything real slow and calm like. Uh, yeah, so he's the whole time he is also he feels like he's alone. So that's why he and Tin Man get along so good. Anyway, yeah, the need to love and to be loved is as fundamental as any other. I think you're right that that's a four. I had it as a five, but you're right because that's not necessarily a very good message. Um, it's kind of not a. It's not a great thing to hear if you're single, for sure. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> you watch that. Seems like it'd go, be great. Oh, I guess I should go fucking sit by a dying huh, star. Yeah. yeah, go find a star. It's about to go supernova. Huh? Fuck me. I guess. Jesus. I don't know what the Earth equivalent of that is. Volcano. Yeah, just go yeah, sit on the edge active, of a volcano. <laughs> active volcano. Just go hang out. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're right. That's not so great. Um, Might as well suicide by cop. Yeah, Tam and this alien have always been searching for somebody or something to belong to, and in that sense, they've always been searching for each other. It's this was maybe since season one, this was the most TOS TNG episode in many ways, including this premise. But it's pretty clear what is being said. It's just not a real thinker. So, um, Ben did not do this episode so the vp is derelict so how did they do in terms of execution then i turned around and gave it another four uh like i said this is also tos weird mission specialist with a dark past weird space alien with immense powers they get together and will finally be happy forever or who knows nobody will ever find out i don't like how um Riker and picard are cast as anti- weirdo yeah i thought this... Riker in particular like picard has his usual someone's asking me to do my job face <laughs> yes. on yeah where he's not interested and he's very petty and doesn't like this guy being in his head for sure oh yeah 
but yeah, Riker is he's got his shit face on from the f- fucking moment one. I thought Riker has no backstory with this guy, by the way. He's just heard of him. Well, and he didn't like what he heard, and that's enough. I, he says in he says to Jordy that he had friends from the academy who died. People who were in his class yeah. at the academy died. He didn't say they were good friends. Yes, that's fair. Um, I just thought they'd be more welcoming to a weirdo, but they hate this dude, and that's not great. Um, he didn't get Paul Rice killed. No, no, we know what happened to him. No, we don't. Echo Papa got him probably. Well, yeah, exactly. Probably. <laughs> well, no, yes, we don't Papa know, him, but like, we but know. They never, they never care to find out what actually did happen to the Drake, though. I mean, Echo Papa almost got Enterprise, so it probably got that piece of shit that's top speed was Warp 3. Yeah. Um. Also, there's a lot going on in this episode, which made it tough to get deep into any of it. Like, if more time was spent with Tam communicating with either Troy or Data or the alien, but not all three... We might have learned more about him and what those interactions mean. He kind of really, he split his time up a lot. I I agree wholeheartedly. It's not in my notes, but I agree wholeheartedly on that point. And I think they want this to be a story about Data, but his, he's not involved. You could drop him and do more Troy stuff or more Gomtu stuff. I did like how Troy sort of defies convention in Star Trek terms by being the one who argues against Tam in the end. By saying, we can't trust this guy to go over to this alien ship. Yep. He's not going to make it because she's like the mental health person. And you, I think the, the expected beat would be for her to defend him, but she's like, Oh, and incidentally, she's fully right. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you didn't get in deep into what happens at the end. Tam and Tin Man just fuck off. Oh yeah. They, again, they, they, he, they send the ships he hurtling. The kindness of returning data, yes. but otherwise he's out of there. Yeah. He, he does exactly what she predicts. Um, the mission is a failure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Data thought he was this close to winning. Um, but he um, he does, they, they do the thing where they send them hurtling through space and they have to slowly turn around on the bridge. And then, <laughs> very, yes, it's very poor. And yes, Data comes back. Um, anyway, I thought Troy Troy's position on that was kind of an unexpected but realistic turnabout. Um, not clear what the Romulans' motivations were or what the Federation found so fucking vital about this mission, though. It, it would have been nice to know what they were really hoping to get out of this besides meeting a new alien. Because they treat it like the music is like, this is serious. We get an emergency fucking mission brought to us lazily by Captain DeSoto. I mean, it's a super good question because as far as we know, they didn't give a shit about the Farpoint Station alien. No. (laughs) Nope. So living spaceship or whatever. Like, what is it about this dude that's so cool? Yeah, I don't understand the secret, amazing significance of this, but... um... Yeah, so just a four for me. I, I There were parts about it that I think worked, and uh, a lot that didn't. I'm a four also. Okay. Um, the music is working hard in this one, and not always to best effect. Mm-hmm. They come back from the trailer with some wild fanfare, <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. Nothing is happening that's cool at that point. <laughs> yeah. the, Tam is walking to the bridge. It's not... <sighs> anyway, um... Tin Man is neat on the outside and kind of hokey on the inside. On the inside, he's some fucking paper mache or something. Yeah. The Romulan plot is a redress of contagion. Yeah. Where Picard and the Romulans are trying to deny each other a very speculative technical advantage. The Iconian whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tam Elbrum's pain is 
told and not shown. Yep. We never see him actually reacting to the presence of the crew. No, we just see him be kind of a pissy weirdo. Like, there's not a scene where he tries to get along with Picard and everybody and, like, goes to a reception in 10 forward or whatever, and then he can't handle it. Maybe breaks down and starts crying, and it's just like, just Mozart, dude. What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, we'll never see anything like that. Um, and this boy is capital A acting. Oh, yeah. Well, he just um, got off the, I don't know if you noticed, but he just got off from his other gig being Peter Pan, so he's, it's a lot of stage <laughs> acting. He has some outfits. <laughs> uh, oh, and they put two ticking clocks in this episode. Yeah. The Romulans and the Supernova. And you don't need Yes. That, two. that is a very TOS lesson that needs it's, to be learned. <laughs> it's one too many ticking clocks. Yep. Like, the, it, he could be at that dying star, and the star could die any time in the next 10,000 years. And you'd still be like, that's fine. He knows it's going to die. Yeah, he's there on he purpose. for a long time. It doesn't need to die in front of them. I agree. Same with the Romulans. One, like, one or the other is fine. So, I'm with you, and it's a four. What about the world building? Yeah, I gave it more points there. Okay. Um, the Garushta disaster. Mm-hmm. And, like, what we really learn about that is how this kind of stuff filters through Starfleet. Like yeah. the infamy that someone can have for doing a bad job. He did bad one time. Yeah, this is the specific era in Starfleet where doing a bad job is not okay. Right. Not like in Archer's early times when doing bad was just expected. Uh, we learned that Betazoids usually develop telepathy during adolescence. Mm-hmm. We learned that Romulan ships are slower than the Enterprise, especially while they're cloaked. Uh, we see one good attack pass from a warbird take the Enterprise's shields down to 30%. This is the most menacing that a Dederodix will ever be, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, is one pass in it. Enterprise has their shields up, and they get a number done on them. Well, that must be... I don't know how Picard knew this before, but that's how he knew before they were just toying with him the other time they shot at him. I guess so. But yeah, how did he know? Well, he didn't have uh, Klingon weapons armed and ready no that's true but the other time on playing on warships i think their shields didn't go down to 30 percent. i think the romulans really were just going hey 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 buddy we're poking you uh i gave it as many as five okay uh did you mention the hayashi system no that's not world building did you mention the uss hood and captain robert de soto uh, I would give that continuity points because we've seen this old boy before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Garusha disaster, which in the beginning I just said is some kind of disaster. <laughs> uh, the USS Adelphi was involved somehow. Cultural taboos or something. Did they eat in front of them? Because we learned in Archer's time some <laughs> people don't like that. They probably did eat in front of them. Uh, Darson fucked it, it sounds like. Sounds like everyone agreed Darson fucked it. Yep. Uh, um, but Riker, he's dead. Riker can't be mad at him. That's right. Betazoids have differing levels of empathic abilities. Tams is wild, apparently. High on that old ESP scale. Um, <laughs> He's an esper. He was born with uh, his powers on full blast, unlike the way the, you, just, you described the Betazoids normally do it. It seems weird to me that that would be bad for you. Uh, yeah, it seems like you'd be um, 
I would feel like having spending 12 or 13 years where it. you don't hear everybody's thoughts and then all of a sudden, yeah. here it comes, would be worse. But and it's the know. same day you get your first boner or whatever and you're like, what's happening? Oh, it's a real bad scene. My life! Uh, <laughs> especially on Beta Z with the nude weddings and everything. Oh, yeah. You probably get a, a tell someone. And everyone and can just a, read your all fucking All women get mind. super horny when they turn 45 or whatever. Yeah, it must be a mess. It's, pr- it's probably a real mess if you can suddenly read thoughts. It probably is the same day you get your first boner. It's probably pretty <laughs> sexed up planet. That's all I'm saying. Beta That's not a judgment. I'm just saying it's got to be tough when you're 13. Yeah. You think, you think puberty's hard here. Fuck. Can you imagine if your mom could just read your mind? Jesus. Um, By the way, it's not non-sexual nudity. It's not. It's true. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, Beta Stromgren, beyond our furthest manned missions. Um, Imagine if you have to read your mom's mind. No. Yeah, it's bad that your mom can read your mind. You're right. I do hate worse. I hate knowing things about people worse than know- having them know things Exactly. About me. Yeah. Exactly. God, I wouldn't make it. I would be like Tam Elbrun. I'd have to go live among weirdos. <laughs> I would be like, hey, I'm going to Chandra 5 for a while. Bye. I heard they don't think that much. It's great. Uh, organic spaceship born amongst the stars, thousands of years old and from very far away. Once there were millions of them, but Gomtu thinks it's the last one. It don't know, though. It just thinks that. It just hasn't seen one in thousands of years. Uh, is this the first time the Dideridix is named and they're not just called Type B Romulan Warbirds? That is correct. It is the first time it's named. Uh, Again, slower than the galaxy. And by the way, wild choice. Yeah, what is that? What's Dideridix? (laughs) Hey, what's the, we've got the main antagonist ship. What are we we call should come it? up with a name for it. Maybe the like <laughs> maybe like a cool code word Starfleet gives it, so it sounds menacing. Maybe something like fucking uh, Raptor or something, like something cool. It really should be NATO code words, yeah, shouldn't it? But instead, we get Dideradix. What? Did you, is that a stutter? What's happening? Anyway, slower than the Galaxy class. They can basically break their asses to be faster if they don't need to use warp speed ever again, though. Not really sure how that works. Um. Chandrin's. It's a wild gambit, though. How many warbirds do the Romulans have? It's not. It's Was that not one going to tow the other one back at warp or just take the crew take back? Take the crew and blow it up, probably. Because that's a big ship to lose. Well, that's how important it is for no reason given to reach Gomtu. Yeah. Chandrins are hella slow and peaceful, so that's where he goes to like rest his mind up. The Romulans have a lingua code they send out to aliens, just, I guess, like Starfleet. Oh, yeah, night. there's some talk about lingua code, for sure. Hey, our... Uh, I mean, can we really be surprised if the Romulans make a big stink out of this whole situation? They claim this territory. They, and they claim it as their Picard's own. just there t- in the, with the least convincing Tomalock-style lie. <laughs> We're just here for research. I'm not familiar with your claim to this system. <laughs> yeah. they claim this, We're here for doing scientific research. They claim this space is their own, and they're getting their ships like blown up out there, and a Starfleet ship's just there. Yeah. It seems and like a know- powder keg. We presume that second ship makes it, right? Because Enterprise did. Yeah. And they know that Enterprise beamed someone over. Oh, yes. And then that thing happens. So, yeah, could be stink. Could be a big stink. Could be a problem, especially because the Romans don't mind lying and, and, and exaggerating about things. Especially if Tomalock gets a hold of this shit. <laughs> he already doesn't like Picard. I know. He's going to be like, what ship did they send? Motherfuck! Don't say Enterprise. <laughs> it's like they only got say one it ship. Was the Yamato. He says, how can the Enterprise always be the closest available ship? Um, Rite of Vengeance seems kind of on Romulan. It doesn't see. It's a crazy thing, by the way, to claim. Like, can you? I mean, literally. I'm just imagining. What the, uh, what the Klingon says in the episode where Worf kills Duras is, he claims Rite of Vengeance. Yeah, I'm just imagining a... Uh, 
two U.S. destroyers pulling up alongside a Soviet cruiser or something. <laughs> and one of them saying, we claim right of vengeance. <laughs> and you'd be like, what? What are you talking about? What did you say? What? What does that mean? Is that, what does that mean? You you're in a multi-million it. dollar ship and you're talking about right of vengeance? I'm afraid that's not going to work. You're going to have to explain better. Um, yeah, I had a lot of shit written down and I have no idea how much will matter later. Um, but I did end up giving it four points. And then for characterization. And, uh, let's talk about characterization. We finally heard Troy say something about her background. She studied psychology at a university on Beta Z. That's more than I remembered. I always go, yeah. what did she do for her studies? Like, she, I don't think she went to academy. So like, what, what was it? Yeah, she's not wearing she's not wearing the uniform, and uh, I get that the idea is because she wants to be the friendly ship's therapist. Yeah, and the other thing was they cast a woman with cleavage, and they were like, "We better do well, it. Let's use. Let's take advantage of that." Normally, we gotta fake it. We better do it. It's the only thing the producers of this show like, and they'll fake it if they have to. But we f- we found a woman with. I mean, we'll fake it too. We'll just push them all up, squeeze them all anyway, up there. Anyway, can we get some weird asymmetrical outfits on her? Yeah. Um, but, like, it does. she does not seem to belong to the semi-military tradition of Starfleet Academy, right? Yeah. But So she went through some alternate commissioning scheme for doctors, presumably. Yes, but at least she finally gave she did, us a hint. She did six weeks at the Academy one summer, yeah, right? Yeah, she did boot camp or whatever. Um, She's sort of close to Tam. She has a background with Tam, and she's, I guess, considered an expert on him for that reason. Um. She ends up opposite Data in an argument about whether to trust him with his mission. Not his motivation, but, like, whether he can handle himself. Which I thought was a fun turn, as I already mentioned. Riker is real mad about what happened at Garushta. He had Academy folks who died there. And he hates this fucker reading his mind. He gives so many fucking faces when the guy's reading his mind in the observation lounge. The whole argument they have that's just in Riker's mind. Yep. Uh, Picard is so petty, picking a time five minutes longer than Tam read in his mind. <laughs> it's some real childish shit. You're not gonna read my mind. Oh, really? You think ten minutes? Well, I say fifteen minutes. How about that? It's a real bad look for Picard. Yeah, Picard wants to have a meeting in ten minutes, and Tam Elvern says that out loud. So Picard goes and have a meeting in fifteen minutes. I, don't you feel like so if someone petty. had had done that move to you, you would it would be very hard not to laugh, right? Yes, and I think about that like every time I thought about that person forever yeah i'd be like that's that's a fucking one time guy. i said i hey, you're probably gonna want to talk about this in 10 minutes right and then he and said he we'll talk me, about it in 15 he minutes. looked at me like i was the worst and he goes uh, uh well uh, we're actually gonna have a meeting in 15 minutes so hmm, i guess you don't know everything and then he walked out and i will always remember this fucker for that that's sort of the main thing i think about when i think <laughs> about that dude Worf still hates romulans um Worf's not really in this one, huh? No, he has one line about uh, the Romulans have no water or whatever. Um, everyone is kind of shitty to Tam Melbourne, at least Picard and Riker. Um, Data. Data doesn't know what Spartan means. Yeah, this week. Uh, and then again, he's on the other side of Troy. He argues that he should be allowed to work his magic on Gomtu, and it's a big failure. By the way, usually Data in the show is the guy who is like, real close to the guest who's trying to understand him because of his own personal problems. Mm-hmm. This week it's reversed and Data does not give a shit about <laughs> he Tam He does not care at all. You could tell, like, Tam Elbrum's just in his quarters, like, Looking so at his what paintings. are you thinking? <laughs> and he, Data's like, 
got uh, a job to do. Yeah, I know I read really fast, but like, let's let me just. Can I? I can't concentrate. You keep asking me questions. I go play with my cat. <laughs> yeah, I have a cat. Perhaps you can read his mind. Uh, it was boy. It was a five. It was a four. Uh, well, no, it was a three. Okay. Um, Picard is always frustrated when someone wants him to do his job. In this case, it's DeSoto. Yeah. Riker can, again, barely contain his hostility towards Elbrum based, I guess, entirely on his reputation. Mm Mm-hmm. Troy never gets close to being professional in this one. As soon as someone says Tam Elbrin, she's like, he was a mental patient. I know. <laughs> I'm going to spread his he shit. He just screams his business out on the, <laughs> spread, on the bridge. Spread his shit all over this ship. Like, uh, again, when McCoy finally tells everyone that uh, Miranda Jones is blind, mm-hmm. he does that because she's, it, because it, the information has suddenly become relevant. Yeah, like... But way before she's got to be like, no, 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 I know about this dude. He's going to get caught up in this shit. She's just like, he's a mental patient. Yeah, and we had... The, and this happens... Let's have, a, let's have a meeting with Beverly where we talk about it. This happens so often in Star Trek with the other doctors, I guess, that we had this exact conversation last episode. Yeah. Because some people, like Flocks or whoever, are just like out here telling everyone's business all the time. Yeah. Uh, Data inserts himself at the end like this whole thing was about him finding his place among the crew. Like in that last scene. In the observation <laughs> where, where Troy goes to talk to him and he, and she, and she he's like, I think Tam really wanted you to know that he was going to be okay. Also, I've decided that this is where I belong. And it's like, wait a minute. Were you yeah. having issues? This is from a, clearly a leftover scene from a treatment of the script where Data was the main character of this episode. Huh, this episode has not really been about you, so... Yeah, I didn't even mention him in the in the synopsis until near the end when I said, uh, because they'd been hanging out a little bit. It's Mostly it's like Tam talks about Data, and he talks to Troy about how he likes hanging out with Data. Because mm-hmm. Data's very serene and peaceful, and Troy laughs and says, you're the only one who thinks that, because he is very annoying Everyone, to us all the yeah, time. You should see Riker, the way he hates you, he hates, he hates Data as well. <laughs> Uh, and then at the end, Dana's like, and this is where I belong. And I was like, well, I didn't know we were litigating that. <laughs> Wait, is this episode about Dana? Hold on a second. He just So he's just inserting himself like he's the main character of this story. I didn't find that good. So I gave it three. Okay. Well, that's fair. It's all fair. Um, <laughs> did you have any quick ones? Uh, on Tin Man? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, go. Uh, I really believe that DeSoto gets bad jobs running back and forth between the star bases because he desperately wants to have a chat instead of getting down to business. Yeah, I have also. DeSoto takes his time explaining this emergency mission. Like he really <laughs> does. Like he runs up on warp nine and says, Sorry to uh sorry to rush in on you like that, but What are you guys uh, up to? Hey, is that Will Riker? <laughs> hey guys, what are you doing over there? You got anything cool going on? No, I'm just hanging. I'm just hanging. Just hanging uh, loose. <laughs> so that that dude needs to find a place where he belongs, I guess. Maybe he had the same question I had, which is, what is the emergency? Uh, I imagine that the scriptwriter heard the way Riker says Garushda and wished he had written something else before everyone took the trouble <laughs> of learning their lines. Because Riker only says it four or five times in the episode, but he makes a meal out of it every single time. Sure. Just like uh, Alayuta. Yeah, he really does. Or any other thing that he's ever said. Uh, and a couple of things we've already covered. I wrote Troy immediately Man, violates Tam Elbrun's <laughs> privacy. <laughs> and Picard childishly orders a briefing for 15 minutes instead of 10. Yep. 
Where does he think Riker went as soon as he left the bridge? If he ordered him to meet Data there. Has he like... Was there a time when Picard forgot his book and went back up to his ready room and he found some lieutenant in charge of the bridge and he's like, Riker where's Riker? Off. And it's like Riker was on a date or something. Yeah, Riker was fucking watching him get in the turbo lift and then ran to the opposite turbo lift. Because he calls him and tells uh, Riker to meet Data on the bridge. You know, I once had a co-worker. My boss told her that she had to stay until six to get work done. My boss was very petty and he left at five. And she left at 5.01, and he was waiting in his car outside to watch her. (laughs) (laughs) And this may have been a similar situation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you think that Elbrum read Riker's mind and heard him say, I hope he never calls me Billy Boy? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's my weakness. (laughs) Because it came out of nowhere as far as i can tell this guy looks like a bully who he won the lead role in peter Pan when i was in school and he always used to call me billy boy exactly and then the guy was like got it cool and no billy boy billy boy oh i hate that um so uh half the people in this episode say tin man yes picard mostly says tin Tin man Man. (laughs) aaron He's not that good with names. Is an example of something called backshifting. Oh, hold on a second. I'm taking notes. This is just for knowledge. There's a good episode uh, of a show called Lexicon Valley all about this. Ooh. And what happens is that as when words are novel, we pronounce them in the normal way. Hmm. Like if the was the first time someone said a tin man, that's how you'd say it. Sure. A man made of tin. But once you uh, once the phrase Tin Man is familiar to you, mm-hmm. then in most words, the emphasis moves forward yeah. to demonstrate that it is its own thing. Ah. That you're not saying uh, a Tin Man, you're saying Tin Man. The, that's the thing that you know about Tin Man. Ah, uh, right. So uh, lots of other words have made this transition, and there's a good episode where there's some examples where you can hear like a movie from the 30s where someone is talking about... Uh, uh, two people who are uh, suspects in the crime <laughs> and it's like oh that's not he didn't just weirdly misstate that it's just people said that that way until people were so used to talking about the idea of suspects that it moved forward to mark it as its own word so uh, Jean-Luc Picard has never seen the Wizard of Oz or read it or anything well so this is my theory and I think maybe one of our foreign contributors can comment but I think that that character is usually known as the Tin Woodsman in England. Oh. And maybe that's what the deal is. But it seems like he Patrick does, Stewart is saying Tin Man every time. He does have that axe. And if you leave that out, then it's like, why has he got that axe? If you that's le- true. If, why is that Tin Man got an axe? Well, and in fact, this uh, episode was based on a story that had been uh, printed in a science fiction magazine in the 70s called The Tin Woodsman. Ah. Oh. Like, and for some people, that's the name of the character, but it seems like when we were growing up, people referred to that character as the Tin Man. Hey, right, yeah, right in, everyone. Tell us. So, anyway. About Tin uh, Man. Tell us about Gomtu, too, but also. I listened Tin to Man. that episode of Lexicon Valley a couple months ago, and then I realized that that's probably why Picard says it one way and everyone else says it the other. All right. Well, fair enough. Why does he say Campok? <laughs> now, that that is probably not backshifting. What about Aaron? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> He's not good with names. It's not his thing. Uh, Jordy and Worf must have both 
dozed off through the part of the briefing where they said that the derelicts couldn't match Enterprise's velocity or they'd understand what it was using all that power for. I know, that was a real... When they speculate on the bridge about, uh, what if we what if we can read through its cloak because it's using a lot of power for some reason. <laughs> also, it's matching our movements and position exactly. Yeah, which it's not supposed to be able to do. Yep. Yeah, so... They uh, they dosed in the briefing. That's they were too right. busy thinking thinking. Fart salad. Well, I hope he calls. I hope he calls Wrecker Billy Boy. <laughs> they know how much it bothers him. Um. He when when Tam is explaining what happened at Garushta, and he's like, I don't know. Maybe I should have. Maybe I should have warned Darson more forcefully. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted everyone to get along. Yeah. I was like, is this the first guy in Star Trek we've seen who fucked up his whole job because he didn't want to make waves? It's true. It's because that's a real type of person was, you can encounter in the workforce. I was going to say, that's actually something that happens all the fucking time in real life. But you're right. Yeah. In Star Trek, everyone has really strong convictions. Exactly. Like I'm thinking like, huh, I, don't, I think this is the first time we've ever seen someone who was like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I should have said something. But like, I mean, I told was, him, but like, I also kind of said some other stuff. About how good the food was. Maybe he heard that part. Uh, the uh, Chandrans, they must not live near any aggressive species. They must not be close to the Chalmoth at all. Because <laughs> no. they sound like real pushovers. They sound like the kind to be conquered enough times to make Picard sick. Have we ever seen anyone call Troy D before? No. Is that like her college nickname that she feels weird about using as an adult or like in her professional life. This guy reads into people's minds and then calls them things. Like you said, yeah. for reasons, maybe that one was to make her feel good. Maybe she likes that because yeah, he maybe. definitely didn't call him Billy boy. Cause it felt good. I just feel like I've known Katie since she was 17 yeah. and she went by Katie, but now in her work, she's Catherine. Right. And her, Whenever I meet one of her coworkers, they think it's weird that I call her Katie because that's not how they know her. And I'm just like, what if this is what's happening with poor D? Yeah, it's like when people call me Matt or Matthew because everyone at work knows me as Nielsen. <laughs> well, by email for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where Picard tells Tam Elbrun that maybe he'll learn that being first at any cost isn't always the point, as though that is Tam Elbrun's tragic flaw. <laughs> but like. That doesn't seem to have anything to do with what happened at Garushta or no. anything that he said since he came on board. No, well, you, you don't Picard, know that Garushta Picard said- is so good at moralizing at people <laughs> that he drags this one up as if it's sort of the main thing yeah. about Tam Elbrin. It's a real nothing. Yeah, well, you, what you didn't know about the Garushtans was they are obsessed with being first. And so he uh, was trying to be first. should have told Darson. Jesus. He was trying to be first, you know, to be good with the with the Garushtans. Yeah, and Darson looked like he wasn't trying that hard. And that's why they killed all of them. They do, um... There's a great moment where, of course, Tam Elbrin says, Danger. Gom to. Oh, yeah. Do not allow. Holds his temple or whatever. Um, and that's the first time we hear the word Gom to in this one. Mm-hmm. And so it's real shades of Gorgon, <laughs> except that because this show is a little better. Yeah. Someone then he then explains uh, he knows him, his name. He calls himself Gomtu. That's the name of this. I learned it telepathically. Yeah, I've been talking to him. I know what he calls himself. Just like, like I know someone what was Troy like, calls herself and what Riker calls himself. Someone was like, well, we have to explain how he knows this guy's name Gomtu. I just figured it out, by the way. Kyle Riker called him Billy Boy after he'd cheat and do the Don Katsuritsu or whatever he used oh, to yeah, do. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's some straight deep Kyle Riker stuff that Tam Elbrun dragged up. <laughs> yep. Um, weird. Speaking of weird inflection, I told you I had a lot of these. Speaking yeah, of go. weird inflection, uh, Troy says to him, "Tam, stop this! You're losing yourself in this merging, yeah, as opposed to the other things you want to lose in it." <laughs> and later he says, oh, "She was right. I really will lose myself here." <laughs> I'm like, "What? Is, why are you guys hitting self so hard?" He heard her say it, so he thought he'd play along. He's the actor is like, I guess I missed something in the script. I'm supposed to put emphasis on self there. Uh, what, are, what else are you supposed to lose in there? Is keys? I'm confused. Don't lose yourself. Lose someone else. They um, they don't give the Romulan who claims the right of vengeance a name in this one as far as I can tell. No. But they do give him a lot of forehead. And he's another one of these guys that looks like it's a he's a Will Forte character under there. <laughs> Something about that guy's sad eyes really translates through alien makeup. Yeah, I, I loved the uh, Right of Vengeance, Romulan. I think he's pulling a prank. Can we do theory <laughs> corner on this Romulan? He's like, they don't know much about us, right? They've had a few encounters, but they're they're mostly in the dark. What if we tell them we got this thing? I heard the Romulans got I mean, I heard the Klingons got it. What if we tell them that we need to claim Right of Vengeance here? And just see the look on his fucking face. And Tay, who's been reassigned, is in the background. He's going, they're not going to buy Right of Vengeance? Come on, that sounds real hokey. And he's like, nah, man. These guys love different cultures. They love cultural shit. If I say Right of Vengeance, they'll be like, well, who's to say? When I I met this guy once, and he seemed pretty... He was pretty tough. I don't know if it's going to work out. Tay, look, why are you even here? You were demoted by... You were were sent back two steps in you're a subaltern. Get off the bridge. (laughs) You were reduced two steps in rank. Please leave. <laughs> um, this whole time they're talking about we. Uh, Tam Elber wants to go on board Tin Man. Uh, in my mind, they're way far away from there, and I'm like, well, they're gonna have to make a run for it. But the Romulans are already closing in, and then he just beamed them over, and I'm like, they were close enough to beam this whole time. Yeah. Also, the transporters no have they a got range every week. By the way. Oh yeah. When when the thing did the shit, they're like uh they're they're up close. Yeah. And then of course Tam Elbrun did kind of exactly what Picard was afraid of. He just fucks off with Tin Man and Picard doesn't have anything to report back to Starfleet except that <laughs> one of the Romulan ships got blown up. Yeah, here's what I have to report. One, I sent the guy over. Um, there was yeah, some dispute. Tam Elbrun's not coming back. There was some dispute about whether I should do it, and it turns out I made the wrong call because I sent him over there, and then he he beamed us over, he beamed us back here, and then and then they gone. We're never going to see them again. And also, you might be hearing from the Federation Council when the Romulans file an official protest because they got their <laughs> ship real blowed up out there, and again they do claim it as their territory. So all I gotta say is it wasn't great. Actually, what I gotta say is, well, we went five and eleven. Not very good. <laughs> uh, there was a worse, uh, worst. Uh, the team finished worse than us. We weren't the worst in the league, and that's a, a kind of positive way of looking at things. That's the <laughs> that's the report he sent back to Starfleet. Not very good. Oh man, um, there's consequences here because Tin Man uh, turns out is super powerful. So imagine a version of this where Starfleet sent their second best telepath and uh, Tin Man was just like being studied at Earth when the Borg roll up in a few weeks. Yeah. Seems like he'd be helpful, huh? He like could Danger either, Gom 2. He could be helpful. F- fuck these guys up, Gom 2. Get them. <laughs> he could be helpful if they could communicate with him or maybe the Borg would just dissimilate him. 
Bite him, Gomtu. Do you bite? Bite him. <laughs> Open your mouth. I know you've got a Get mouth, Gomtu. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen. No, I just Tin imagine Gomtu in Tin a... Man never appears again. I just imagine Gomtu in a Starfleet uniform sleeve. Maybe Tin Man will show up in the Picard show. Lieutenant Gomtu? He's gone through no, the well... Academy at this point. <laughs> I know. Just like, he just comes back with old-ass Tam Elbert on board. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't expect like he this wants weird, more crew. This weird blast from the past from this one episode everybody hates. Uh, I gave best actor to Jordy giving orders in engineering. Yeah, they don't give him a lot to do in this episode, but it's always nice to see him give orders. He's good in command. Yeah, and uh, worst actor to uh, Tam Elburn's one man show. It's hard to watch. He, yeah, he's doing some stage acting for for real. Um. We already talked about DeSoto taking his fucking time. I've never seen someone so slow with emergency orders. Uh, again, I've already made so many Peter Pan jokes. He looks like he looks like Will Ferrell, like a tiny Will Ferrell in a Peter Pan outfit. Um, God, I talked about all these already. They're silly, woozy, turning in circles, acting on the bridge. I was very, very hilarious, but also like that was the best take. That's what we went with. I mean, I found it very distracting. That first time Tin Man blasts the Romulans and Enterprise gets all thrown around and the ship is turning around like sort of clockwise if you view it from above and Riker's making a very slow right-hand <laughs> turn to get back to his station. And I'm like, does he think it's supposed to be in slow motion? What's They gave him some confusing notes, I think. Well, no one else is doing exactly what he is doing. It's very weird. Also, did you notice the way the Romulan ship kind of vibrated before it blew up? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I uh, didn't do frankly, that. wouldn't it? I that ship is a weird design where it's like two big wings and a neck, and there's no like it seems like it would be flexy. Yeah, it just, it's a lot of open space in it goes, there. Whoa, 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 and then blows up. <laughs> it's like, well, that huge ship did that. Uh, yeah, I don't have... I mean, we talked about all of it. We really have. Yeah, I am sorry. I monopolized the quick hitters on that one. No, we're good. We're good. Uh, We only have one left, and we're making um, average time. (laughs) We are are indeed, in fact, likely to go over three hours. (laughs) Uh, The winner last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Explorers. You cannot imagine how much I wanted to play Informer by Snow here. (laughs) Explorers! Exactly, Uh, but I didn't. Bashir is getting his flirt on with a Dabo girl, who we come to know as Lita. We will learn that as Lita. Yep, Uh, and Jadzia comes in to cockblock him a little bit and tell him the Lexington, the USS Lexington, is docking soon for some kind of layover. That's a lie, by the way. This is a cockblock. The Lexington's not coming for three weeks. Ah, okay. Um, He knows a lady on that ship. She was valedictorian at the Academy or whatever when he was Supadar at the Academy. I know that's not correct, (laughs) but that's what it says here, so... Um, anyway... It's a very honorable tour. <laughs> yeah, an honorable tour at the Academy. Anyway, Jake and uh, a now-goateed Cisco are super intrigued by some old Bajoran solar sail ship that they're reading about, and Cisco goes clock-crazy and decides he's gonna build one. Credits. Uh, 
he and O'Brien and Kira argue about how feasible his crazy mission is. He's going to take the ship to Cardassia to prove it, that the trip could be done, because the Cardis have denied that the Bajorans of however long ago that was had the space travel. That's not even his mission. He's not even going to try to get well, to Cardassia. He actually decides to just do a leg of the journey to prove its space worthiness. He's going to go to the Denorius belt or something. Um, He wants Jake to come along on his trip, but Jake's busy with girls or something. So um, Cisco's bummed out, and then there's a big building montage or two of him making the ship. And he's going to build it out of all the old same materials that the Bajorans would have used and use the same tools and everything. Because, again, clock. It's a clock. It's a clock. <laughs> By the way, how worried are This is are the episode th- where we learned that that was inside him all along. That's right. I was going to say, that if you're the crew, aren't you worried that's happening again? Well, they probably don't remember it super good. Because they were but... all impaired, you know. Yeah. They're lucky that someone like Data wasn't around, because he would remember it. And you'd be like, uh, there was one other or, time he acted like this, and it was... Or really, Wesley. Wesley's who you'd have to look out for. He, he's who would point it out. For, he'd say, first of all, Cisco just used a contraction, and second of all... <laughs> I know I'm in trouble hey, remember for this. when he got into the clock? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jake gets a, a message from Wellington, New Zealand, that makes him happy for some reason, and he decides he will go along on the trip with his dad after all. Meanwhile, Bashir tells Judzia uh, he's always felt second best because uh, this lady beat him at the Academy. I assume this plot will be- take a real backseat to the Cisco one. <laughs> Ducat calls Cisco to tell him not to make this trip because it's too dangerous. And Cisco thinks it's because he's afraid that he's going to prove this particular Bajoran myth to be true. Um... Yeah, there's weird low political stakes in this one. Yes. Cisco and Jake do some fake sailing stuff and get underway. Something about the jib or something. They they do a lot of mainsails and jibs. Jake asks his dad to read a story he wrote and that he also has something else important to tell him. Meanwhile, Bashir hears uh, from Odo that his lady friend is on the station finally and uh, she's at Quark's. So he goes to meet her, uh, this lady he's been obsessed with in a weird way forever. But she just uh, stands up and walks right past him without saying anything, which I guess is hugely embarrassing for him. Back on the sailboat, Jake tells his dad about the Pennington School in New Zealand and that he was accepted into some kind of writing fellowship thing. Then there's a mechanical whoopsie on board and they gotta dump some of their sail, but don't worry, they ain't gonna quit. Onwards. (laughs) Because what would the ancient Bajorans have done? They would have. Well, we don't actually know, but we think they would have kept going. <laughs> right. Uh, Bashir is so upset this lady ignored him that he and O'Brien get actual drunk on real booze. And yeah. we see them singing old, dumb British drinking songs or something. <laughs> I don't even think it's a drinking. They're singing Jerusalem. Oh, okay. A fun religious song that some people consider Britain's, or at least England's, sort of second national anthem. Oh. So... That should tell you something about Ireland in the 24th century. Well, I do know about the Irish unification, but I don't know. I guess any- after the unification, <laughs> they've got a, they really forgave the English. Yeah, they further unified. Yeah. Uh, they chat, and O'Brien tells Bashir he needs to confront this bee for ignoring That's him. That's coming so soon, Doc. I just want to live to see the Irish unification of 2024 we're or whatever. Nearly there, but that and the bombing of terrorist bombing of <laughs> I was going to say we're going to cross universes and we're going to get that B5 <laughs> terrorist bombing that's going to be a real fucking nightmare for Those people. are both coming in the next 10 years guys. Well, also in We'll still be working on this project. I don't know if you saw one time I tweeted out something that we saw on uh, 
Babylon 5 and my last rewatch where it they were doing an ISN news broadcast and it said on this date in 1996 uh President Clinton um uh signs the decree to start planning the Mars colony or something and it was like ah oh, damn it we got more fake 1996 history we got to deal with <laughs> we already got the eugenics wars yeah the two universes are not super compatible frankly no um Anyway, yeah, so O'Brien tells Bashir he's got to confront this lady. Um, Jake uh, Jake tells his dad he's thinking of deferring admission to Pennington for a year, and um, he's worried about leaving his dad all alone because, you know, because Jennifer died. <laughs> you know why. Because of the Borgs. Yeah. Uh, he also wants his dad to start dating again. Another space whoopsie knocks off another bit of sail. Suddenly, the ship appears to be at warp, though. Does he mean light speed or does he mean warp? Um, they come out of warp and well, they they end up at Cardassia, so it must be warp. They come out at uh, they come out of warp and can't figure out where they are. Well, I'm I'm just saying I always thought warp was a technology and not a measure of speed, but yeah, I guess. But it seems like the only technology they have for it, so that's what they think of it as. They come out of warp and can't figure out where they are. They're uh, gonna have to give up and call for help, I guess. They can't get a response from DS Nine, however. Back on the station, Bashir confronts this uh, lady at the bar, and she says she thought he was an Andorian named Julian Bashir. Somebody <laughs> once pointed him out to her, but she thought they were pointing at the Andorian guy who was next to Bashir at the time. Anyway, they cool now. No big deal. Um, She's read all his papers, but she has no idea what he looks like or his species. Uh-huh. <laughs> or why Andorian Julian Bashir hasn't come to see her yet on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Finally, Cisco and Jake are talking about a lady freighter captain Jake knows and wants his dad to date when Jake sees three Cardi cruisers outside. They are hailed, and it's fucking Ducat giving a slow clap and congratulating Cisco on his long trip to the Cardassia system, meaning they uh, proved the Cardis wrong and that the ship, if it gets caught in some kind of weird tachyon thing, can go all the way to Cardassia. Uh, the Cardis finally admit they found some wreckage that also confirms that this trip happened in the olden times. And then they shoot off some fireworks. He shoots off some fireworks. Space fireworks. For his good Earth buddy, Ben. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. What was this one about? Um, So this is tough, because there's kind of three stories going on. Okay. There's Bashir's whole thing. Uh-huh. Then there's... Jake and his dad and Jake's growing up and leaving the house, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And then there's this weird political repression of archaeology by the Cardassians mm-hmm. slash uh, unfounded chauvinism by the Bajorans, because although it turns out that it did happen, it's kind of a nutty idea Yes, that this solar ship could have made it all the way to Cardassia, which I think is supposed to be 12 light years away. Right so those three don't super tie together but if you're willing to take as broad a a premise as don't be afraid of the past Hmm. then i can sort of work them together okay bashir is all worked up about a rivalry that no longer matters sure it didn't matter much at the time it definitely doesn't matter now right uh, Cardassia is suppressing archaeological evidence, but the ending of the show makes it pretty clear nothing is going to happen as the result of this. Oh, what are you talking about? They just didn't fireworks. Wanna, they just didn't want a black eye, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 
And then uh, I couldn't really find a way to tie Jake in super well, <laughs> well unless, the past unless is, he is teaching that to Cisco yeah, don't, with his get out and date. Yeah, you can't campaign. live with the ghost of my dead mom forever. Right. So it's very cooked. I like it. Having said that, I am assigning it four points. I like that you worked that hard. That's um, That's way harder than I worked. Okay. It's not close. I, I only worked on one of the takes. I mean, on a, one of the plots. Um, Ben, uh, Ben, yeah, our Ben. Whew, I'm so confused. There's too many Bens. Ben gave it a five. Uh, That's the episode where Ben Cisco got duplicated in a <laughs> too many, too many accident. <laughs> and the second one comes back and they sort of litigate his previous ambitions and how he's lived his life and the compromises he's had to make. Sure. And then also the, he, the one of them fucks over Troy, just like the first one. Um, yeah. Ben says the unknown might be scary, but it could also turn out to be great. I guess that's about Jake leaving and Cisco telling him that story about how scared he was to be away from home, but how he got over it and never looked back. And then about um, this trip. Boy, this yeah, anything maybe. could happen on this trip. And then um, I don't really know so much about the Bashir one. But um, anyway, give it a five. I said history... And the other sciences, archaeology, etc., uh, often political and not necessarily based on fact. I, that is definitely the Cardassian piece of this puzzle. Yeah. Um, Cisco does this whole thing, I guess, to prove a thing happened that the Cardis say couldn't have. He succeeds and no, then also... He does it because it's neat. He does it because it's neat. He doesn't have a dog in this fight. He does say that a couple of times. He succeeds, and also the Cardis are like, oh, yeah, and we also, just now, just now, we just found some wreckage just now that confirms it's also true. So, yay, we both discovered a move, it. A move that even Gul Dukat must know is particularly weak. <laughs> he actually, he gets the orders, and he says back to the whoever, whatever legate gave it to him, and he goes, you want me to say this? You want me to say this to him? We can't sit on this for 18 months and then be like, in the light of Cisco's journey, we reevaluated some archaeological... No? I'll just read what you wrote? Just okay. Me to say this. Okay. I'm All right. Re- and he does, and he just reads it verbatim. Anyway. You'd think I would be too busy dealing with the fallout from the invasion <laughs> and the loss of the Obsidian Order fleet. No. But, okay. No. I'll go give this... You want us to use fireworks in space? I don't really understand. What is that going to... Do they even work? Who's this for? What is this hap- what's happening? You know there are no Bajorans on it, right? It's two You know I'm going to be uh, <laughs> congratulating two humans on this? On their great trip to Cardassia? They've, you know, they've been here? Actually, they Ben's been, actually they been have, here. They have been here. Ben's been here before. My buddy Ben, I've told you about Ben. He's my Earth buddy, and he's been here before. <laughs> Why am I congratulating him? He helped me stick it to Gullivec. Last time he came on a much better ship. This, is, this ship's yeah. not very good. Yeah. Um, anyway, what history records is sometimes a measure of who's writing it, I guess. Um, I guess that's a hot take. Is this supposed to parallel something happening in the news in the 90s? Because, I mean, it could help it score if it was. You read uh, the if things. If so, I've lost it. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, no. I, I legitimately, this episode, I think, was designed because someone thought a solar sail was cool. Fucking A. And then they just did the whole fucking thing. And then they kind of stole... The Voyage of the Contiki for part of it. Well, I gave it a five because it's true. And I don't know if people necessarily think about that that often, but. It is true. Although then the question is, 
What should How I do? do, you do what should I do? <laughs> hey, Star Trek, can you just give me some tips? To get through life. How do I determine, how, how can you help me, help me in some way, Star Trek, to determine how I, how, how, how and when this is happening and what I should and shouldn't believe. Dear all Star Trek's written um, before, say, 2006 or 2007, well, I'm in 2019 and the world is very bad. Can you? <laughs> it's, it's much worse than it was in the 90s. Can you give in me almost every way. some tips so I can cope with life now in 2019? Anything you can hand me that will help me in my everyday life would be fantastic. Dear, dear I Star can, Trek. Dear Star Trek, I can order food <laughs> on a computer phone now, and it will be delivered to me by a man that I do not have to talk to. It's honestly however, not that much less convenient than a replicator in your show. However, dinner will cost me $45 <laughs> if I do this. Can dear you, Star Trek. How do you help? Can you help me with this problem? Dear what, Star Trek. What has happened? Dear Star Trek. <laughs> dear Star Trek. Uh, there has, as of yet, been no terrorist bombing of San Diego, but... But a lot of real bad stuff has happened. I don't suspect that we're doing much better than that kind of universe. <laughs> How can you help me with this problem? I'll hang up and I'll take my answer off the air. I'll take my answer. I'll just hang up and I'll listen. Um, yeah, five for me, I guess. Um, execution. uh, Ben gave it a five. He said, can Lita's boobs be displayed any more prominently in the opening scene? Uh, she's a Dabo girl. At least her complete underboob wasn't hanging out. Yeah, honestly, first of all, he says the answer is no. But first of all, it's not that bad for a Dabo girl. Yeah, that's pretty conservative. Second of all, have you been watching Enterprise? <laughs> it's just because it full definitely last could. Week. It absolutely could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the B-plot with Bashir is nothing, though I sort of liked the callback to the whiskey drinking. But he's right. L Lita is in this to be boobs. Yeah. I don't know why they decided to make her a recurring character based on this interaction. They fucking loved the way she delivered this one line. Mm. Fireworks in space, he says. Not so great if you can't hear them. Well, I mean, I guess that's one of the problems. Uh, you can hear them in the show. but uh, <laughs> There's no explanation for why or how, but yeah. you do hear them good roundup that the cardies already knew the trip was possible eh. it's a cute reveal yeah but again it's very slimy as, but it's, as we have just play acted yeah. it's impossible to imagine gul dukat <laughs> just reading just this reading script. it he just straight reads it anyway uh i give it a four the stakes aren't set very high in this one so it's hard to be super invested uh, this is a hobby for Cisco. It doesn't actually matter to him what the Bajorans did long ago. He just wants to sail a ship with his good, good son. Yep. Even Kira is like barely in this and not that engaged. No, she'll she'll get a little feisty with O'Brien about yeah, it. Yeah, she'll say he sounds like a Cardassian because she knows that'll piss him off. Because she is also she is a faith character and not a science character, mm -hmm. and they have forgotten to make O'Brien a science character here. Instead, he's extremely grumpy. He's power play O'Brien again. <laughs> oh, no, I don't believe that. That I thought they left that behind. I think now he's good O'Brien again. What they have forgotten about O'Brien is that they have already established that he used to build ships in bottles. Great fun. Which suggests that building a model solar sail ship might be interesting. In Cargo Bay 4 or whatever might actually kind of be up his alley. But he's annoyed by the thought of it and offers no assistance. In fact, it makes it seem like, oh, so he was definitely just kissing ass when he told Picard that he used to build ships and models. Well, that's what the others thought. That was certainly, oh, it turns out it certainly was not true. <laughs> and later, Worf tried to build one and got real mad. Threw it all in a drawer. <laughs> Threw it all in a drawer. Uh, 
Bashir. And then later he threw that whole desk in a replicator. That's right. To make sure. He took it, it down to the gifting the station and threw it in the big replicator. Bashir B plots tend to suck. This was mostly nothing. Uh, it could have been completely omitted and nobody would ever miss it. It's uh, it's linked in the way that news radio plots are linked. It has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> it happened at the same time. Yes. Uh, how does time... They had, they had three weeks uh, where Cisco was building the ship. And so that was how long it took the Lexington to get there. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because I was confused. I was like, how does time work in this episode? Because we hear in the one scene that the Lexington will be there in three weeks. Then we see montages of Cisco building the ship and planning for the trip. And then they do the trip. And it all seems really quick to build a spaceship out of wood or whatever he's building it out of. Well, we see him at the beginning saying that he wants a saber saw because he's going to do it by Bajoran methods. Mm -hmm. However... I think it's possible he cheated. I don't see any wood on that ship, first of all. He's like, give me some lumber. And O'Brien's like, what? It's a spaceship. Spaceship, you get it. It's, uh, it's We need lumber for it. Do you, do you, is that what you call I-beams? Do you call it lumber? <laughs> I just, I need you to not. explain. Yeah, it was only a four for me. I didn't really... I mean, it's filler, so it is what it is. Uh, so four for you. I liked it one better. I'll give it a five. I think the family stuff mostly works as usual. Mm -hmm. The interior of the ship set is neat. It seems like a huge waste of money because you know we'll never see this again. No. No, what we'll see is that one of those little dials will be in his office later and you'll be like, why is that in there? What's he (laughs) do with that? The CGI on the outside of the ship, not so great. Yeah, but don't worry. They definitely took a shot at Babylon Five when they were talking about it. It's exactly as good as Babylon Five. Ah, I um, I thought it was a little weird that they rolled Gul Dukat out for this bit part. Like, I get that he's good at unspecified menace. So when he's telling Cisco that it could be dangerous out there, it seems like he's going to be the threat. Mm-hmm. But then when he isn't, it's a little unsatisfying that he just shows up at the end and reads. Yeah, but then it's like, at this point, okay, so until, like, season seven, the show goes back and forth about whether or not we're supposed to like the guy. Eventually, he goes pure evil when there's a devil in him, as we talked about. Yeah, he gets a devil in because it sweeps. As we talked about last time. But but until then, he goes back and forth. Like, he kind of alternates between good guy and bad guy, so I think... Yeah, he's a guy who's got his own agenda, yeah. and he will align with Cisco when it matches his agenda, when it's good for him yeah. to do so. So I think they like to have him show up and even give him this moment where he has to like concede that Cisco's done something. But yeah, yeah, I like to have him show up too. It just seemed weird, like a weird time to roll him out. Yes, yeah. Uh, you could have had those uh, Lady Cardassian uh, scientists. Oh, that would have been a nice recall. They would never rehire those people for that. They would, they would never happen. <laughs> well, they'd have to pay the writer of that other one, yeah. so that's not happening. Yeah, that would never happen. Um, I, It's kind of a weird plotting mistake to have Cisco and his son, and his son doesn't care about any of this, <clears throat> strike this blow for Bajoran pride mm-hmm. and history, and it's done. It's completely unquestioned like at no point in this show do we see anyone tell the bajorans that it's true <laughs> yeah the, the scene ends with the, the fireworks. fucking episode ends yeah. at the fireworks yeah and again um, cisco's entire motivation wasn't really for anything except that he's suddenly interested in building ships which he's never told anyone in this fucking show before so yeah yeah 
And again, uh, to me, in-universe, it seems like this comes right after the big two-parter. Cardassia would be a wild mess right now. Can you imagine what what the jockeying the military is doing to take control over what remains of the Obsidian Order. Oh, yeah. Like, Dukat is not doing a million little things that get him advantages and, you know, consolidating his power yeah, and building up his fleets and stuff like that. Yeah. He's he's out here with two other ships shooting fireworks into space. <laughs> yep. And it makes, also coming right after the big two-parter, makes this show feel like it's absolute filler. By the way, another thing Even about though this. it's... Not a bad little quiet show, frankly. He, he shows up there and they shoot up those fireworks. Do they just always have those fireworks ready? Or how did they know that that ship was going to show up there? Uh, it's a real good. Well, we know that they hung there for a while. So it's it's possible that they detect them right when they warped in. And they got the Gold fireworks Ducat, I guess, ready? is running the, running the system right now. And he said, oh, my God, they made it. <laughs> and then they probably sent a bunch of messages back and forth. Someone did that one and one draft only of the message <laughs> yes. to read. They loaded up a couple of mortars from their big Fourth of July thing. Right. And then they went out into space and did the damn thing. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's such a crazy idea. Uh, well. I mean, we've seen. I guess we will see in a few weeks that uh, the saucer section can do a pretty good, fun, impromptu fireworks show. Yeah. In TNG. That's true, but the, only the sparkly white kind. And yeah. have cool colors in it. But, I mean, that would have been good enough. No one knew he was coming. Um, So I gave it a five. I think that the show feels smaller and more trivial than it is because of where it falls in the arc. Yeah. But it's it is actually fine, and I usually like the little family moments with the. It's when we get the best Ben Cisco. Cisco. And Jake. Yeah, that's it's when Avery Brooks is the most interested in doing it. Mm-hmm. World building. Yeah. Ben's a four. Okay. He doesn't believe that the Bajorans had wooden spaceships. I had I trouble with it myself. Uh, the idea of transporter credits. Yep. Um. Why the 800-year-old Bajorans called ancient? We don't consider people from the 13th century ancient. Yeah. Um. So he is a four. I am a five. Oh, wow. I think it is interesting that the Bajorans were spacefarers 800 years ago. Right. We see... This is another thing that Star Trek shares with Babylon 5 is the idea that humans are somehow advancing faster than the other races. Mm-hmm. The Ferengi had to buy warp technology right a long yep. time ago from somebody. Sort of the Romulans, the, I guess, or they had to trade yes, it. Right, something like that. But here but plucky little Earth is is moving real fast. Mm-hmm. Um it's also interesting to think about and we will never know the answer to how Cardassia surpassed Bajor. Yeah, this is why I couldn't give it more points because I'm still, we don't get enough about what happened then. If they were What happened to Bajor? Space, how did Bajor become the Dalrock? Yeah, what happened there? When did, and by the way, when did Cardassia really show up and what the fuck was? How long was the occupation? Because like, if they had spaceships in our years ago, like. But they didn't get better? I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm very confused about the whole thing. Uh, Gravity nets? Mm-hmm. Cisco installs one of those. Uh, 
Um, Pennington School Fellowship. It's an interesting idea. Jake is 16. What does fellowship mean in this context? Yeah. Is it, it's like a scholarship, but it's not. I don't know. I, I don't know. Marjan, what's a fellowship? She's gotten some of those. You can tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, well, it just seems weird to a kid who's in high school. Yep. We get one. <laughs> yep. Based on a story that his dad doesn't think is great. His dad's frankly. like, eh, it seems like you're writing about a bunch of stuff you don't know anything about. How about that? Um, transporter credits, the idea of beaming from San Francisco to New Orleans for dinner. Was his dad eating dinner real late? Did they not have time zone differences in the future? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's a good question. Because, like... No, maybe he... Cisco wasn't done with his school day at 3.30 to beam home. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is he got out of classes at 3 and beamed home for dinner. <laughs> Asshole. <That's> weird. <laughs> well, I, guess it, I guess it would be 4 if it was, like, 6 he's, o'clock. Anyway. He's back running, getting ready to run his, do his marathon practice or whatever. He's got a whole belly full of jambalaya. <laughs> that's right. It's not good. Um, Cardassian uh, political suppression of science. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Look at some of the disadvantages of working on a starship as a research scientist, like with Dr. Lenz's frustrations about most of the time you find nothing, and then if you do find something interesting, you leave right away. Yeah. We've talked about before how it seems like Dr. Crusher is more of a research scientist. Yeah, she seems more like an academic than a a surgeon. So... You know, maybe she's got some of these frustrations, too. Maybe, except the Enterprise is always involved with weird alien missions. She, Crusher gets all the fucking practice. Oh, yeah, for sure, but they also fuck off again right away. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I give it a five. Okay. Um, I felt like there's a lot of stuff happening here. Of course I want to know more about Bajor. That's what, one day, if there's ever an episode where we really learn about the <laughs> occupation, that's how DS9 could get a ten, right? <laughs> Yeah, I just... I'm, Unfortunately, we're at the end of season three. <laughs> I'm my brain. And brains. it seems like the time has passed. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get it. I'm just... I don't think there's anything left that they're going to say about... Oh, Asia. well, what about the paw wraiths? Oh, yeah, the devils. Um, well, Let's see. Uh, the Lexington is here on DS9. Finally, another ship. Everybody in the Academy wanted that ship for some reason. Um, I might as well just... So... This show seems to suggest that if you finish first in your class at the academy, you can literally choose your post. I guess doesn't we that know seem it like might that be can't true be right of, of doctors. Well, I think you could choose from among some of a certain number of available postings. I'm just confused about it. Like normally, are you just told where to go in the military? There's probably something. Yeah. It's probably the case that if you're the valedictorian at the at the naval academy, you get a little better. A little more agency. I wonder. I have no idea. Um, uh, solar sail. It's blown around by light pressure, I guess. Uh, this old Bajoran ship was made of wood, at least partially. Buys a bunch of lumber. Cardassians have been denying the possibility of Bajoran interstellar travel from the olden days for uh, for quite a while. Gravity net. Cisco puts on the floor of the ship. Um. The Bajorans have been doing space stuff for a hell of a long time. The Pennington School in New Zealand, transporter credits. Man, tachyon eddies. Tachyons, oh, yeah. tachyons travel faster than light. I don't know how, but they do. Well, uh, that is believed to be true if they exist at all, which is an open question. But do the blue TNG uniforms seem less teal? Oh, incidentally, tachyons just means um, fast particles. Oh, good. 
Uh, so if they exist, they travel faster than the speed of light because that's just the name for any hypothetical particle that travels faster than the speed of light. Oh, well, there you go. It's like in uh, if you have a fast heartbeat, that's tachycardia. It's the same same root. Oh, and like um, like rock rains. He was attack a crack rock. Um, I got a uniform question. The TNG blue uniforms seem much bluer than the DS9 blue uniforms, which look very teal. definitely a different color, yeah. Is that on purpose? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, when did DS9 spin up? 90... Oh, well, teal is a very 90s color. 94? Just look at every expansion team uniform from that era. Oh, yeah. That, oh, it's all purples and teals. I 100% what color is the undershirt? Agree. Purple. And what color is the <laughs> science color? Teal. It, it just seems weird that they're not the same. Because yeah. then you see her next to him, and she's in a blue uniform, and he's in a teal one. And you're like, they're the and same they fucking colors. job. But, you know, the costume department was never super consistent. And if you pay close attention, even on TNG, like, I think that the original science color was greener than the season three onward science color. I think it gets bluer during the TNG run. Ah, okay. Uh, Bajor has some... T-cell anomalies Bashir has been trying to fix? The lady starts oh, to yeah. talk to him about it. Uh, it was only a three for me. Um, characterization. Ben has it as a three. A Cisco goatee. He's fine with it. Cisco gets to do some dad acting. Teaches Jake stuff. Kira called O'Brien a Cardassian. Uh, Cisco is now a mechanical and woodworking genius who can build a flipper in a couple of weeks by himself. Yes, I had the same yeah, he's thought. Not thinking about, he's not thinking about that clock. <laughs> uh, clock Cisco is back, babies. Um, Julian has a college crush, sort of. That is unrequited. No, I, no, I don't think. That is, the, that is the thing, is when she shows up, Quark or somebody runs up in and he's like, you didn't say she was beautiful. And, but it doesn't seem like that was any part of it. No, I don't think he has a thing for her at all. And by the way, neither did I. I thought she would look kind of weird. Um, yeah, yeah, but he, no, he doesn't explicitly say, what? That's, she was a name and a grade on a piece of paper that I was competing with. This has nothing to do with and how she yes, looks. Yes, I was hard for it, but that's a psychological and thing. Yeah, I am the horniest person that's ever been on Star Trek. So yeah, <laughs> of course, but that's not what it's about. Yeah. And, of course, O'Brien keeps uh, real whiskey around. Um, I give it... Wee Bairns brand whiskey. (laughs) That's right. Uh, I gave it a five. Uh, Bashir is only too happy to mix business and pleasure. He's got a... From that first scene where he's going to pretend to play doctor with this double girl. Um... He's got a past with this Elizabeth Lenz. He's a weak, shattered person who's ruined when she doesn't seem to recognize him because he's been fantasizing about her in a weird way for many years. Judzi is a cock blocker, and she's not really in the episode anymore. Um, Cisco has... When she says that the thing's coming in three weeks, there's no other way to take that interaction than she is cock blocking. Cisco has a hobby now. He builds old ships and only uses the original materials and tools. Um, he's a champion guilt tripper. Yeah, that's real white guy stuff, huh? So that says a lot about, I think, race relations in the future. That's true. Because that's a that's some white guy nonsense. Right, well, let me ask: right? Is there going to be a lot of a lot of black serial killers in the future too? I feel like that's a real white guy game. Well, I again, 
if we get our racial issue solved, then the answer is yes. <laughs> if we solve our race issues, but not our psychological and poverty-driven crime, well, who knows what's going on with serial killers? It's probably all psychological. Dear Star Trek, in the future, are there any black serial killers of note? Thank you. I will. I'll hang up and listen. I'll take my answer offline. <laughs> I know already what we're calling this one. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Again, he's a champion guilt tripper. He gives Jake a real sullen bunch of bullshit when Jake says he can't go along on his weird space journey. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Cisco went clock crazy one time when he was getting Jake's nursery ready before he was born. Uh, he suddenly worships the idea of old sailing ships and adventures. Where is this Cisco been on TNG? This is a real TNG, Cisco. Uh, it, I mean, it is. It's, but it's, I mean, specifically the first 15 minutes of Generations. That's the only time we really see anyone obsessed with sailing ships. I guess that's true. Um, Cisco was so homesick at the Academy, he kept beaming home for dinner. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Kira knows how to push O'Brien's button. Straight calls him a cardi. Uh, Jake doesn't want to go fishing with his dad or whatever. He wants to hang out with his girlfriend. Also, he's been accepted to a prestigious writing fellowship in New Zealand. Wants to be a writer now. Encourages his dad to keep uh, keep going on with this mission, even when the ship gets all broken. Wants his dad to start dating again, and he knows a lady freighter captain who might be right for him. I wonder if we'll learn more about her. <laughs> uh... You have to imagine that they did not actually have it planned at this point, because it takes a while. Yeah, I have a feeling that was a throwaway, and then later on they went, oh yeah, remember that? No, we did say something about that. Now Odo and everybody are getting into this Bashir thing. Why is Odo in this? Is that a Little League? Uh, yeah, Odo's Little League. He fucking showed... Somehow he has heard about this Bashir nonsense. Be Maybe just on his surveillance cameras. Oh, you're right, yeah. And he fucking shows up while uh, Bashir is trying to find the right place to put a science vase or whatever in his office. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he says, so I thought you'd want to know that Dr. Lenz is in Quarks. <laughs> I just love romance. <laughs> I'm a playful imp on the station who I loves I love the romance. idea of love. Yes. Uh, O'Brien is a uh, better drinker than Bashir and knows when it's time to switch to Synthale. Um, yes. He also tells Bashir uh, he's not an in-between kind of guy, Bashir, that people love him or hate him. But then he can't admit to loving him. Not yet. Ducat sighting here, and he's pretty magnanimous reading that thing off the page. Uh, it was a five for me. I uh, gave it one less. Uh, ships and Bottles O'Brien doesn't see any fun to be had in this project. No, again, he uh, hates the entire idea. He's mad about it. Yeah, Cisco's weird obsession with this thing suggests that some of that big clock energy might have been coming from within. Like all three of us named clock energy in this. Yeah, and as always, he thrives as a dad. I'm always watching Bashir because there are a couple of big revelations about him coming mm. sooner or later. And so I'm always thinking, How cool is would it this be? one of those episodes when, in retrospect, it turns out that Bashir was an A or... Is is this story informed in any way by the revelation that Bashir is a B? Sure, sure, sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that would be cool, right? If they were doing that, but they're not. They don't know anything. Uh, I, so I think he was. So I always watch him very carefully. I think he's fine in this episode, but I did not. I could not get invested at all in his juvenile med school jealousy. It's really weird. Like his conversation with Dex, where he like storms off, was so weird. I couldn't. I have notes about it in Quick Hitters. Like, I just want someone to say to him, you're in the military. <laughs> yep. No, 
knock it off. Like, try to grow up a little bit. Even if you're not in the military, just grow up a little bit. Uh, and Jake, in this episode, never gets to a place where I really understand what he wants for himself. Because I don't believe that he's going to hang out a year either because he can't leave his dad or because he thinks he's not ready yet. Yeah, I'm going to get some more experiences because DS9 has all the shit going on. So I give it as many as four points here. Okay. What about quick ones? Yeah, does Ben have any? No, let's take a look. Um, uh, Hammock time. Say. Oh, he does say hammock time. Yep. And then Jake says, yo. <laughs> That is fascinating. Uh, he says, is it racist if my first thought was that Cisco was riffing on Hammer Time? No, I, I, I feel no, like it I was implied. I legitimately think he does. And what's amazing about that is that that is a reference that's five years too late. Exactly right. Yes, in real time, that is, uh, people are like, God, it's so played out. But Yeah, by then the writers are the last people making a Hammer Time reference. It's not like anything cool ever happened in Star Trek, so that makes sense. Yeah, that's his, that's his only quick hitter. Um, yeah, I got a bunch. Okay. Uh, not a great introduction for the character of Lita, huh? No, uh, flirting with Bashir. <laughs> and by the way, it seems completely unmotivated. She is so hot for Bashir, it makes no sense. Yeah, we've never seen her, and we don't know anything about why she is hot uh, for she's, him. She's doing, like, dirty nurse pantomime it's, with this thing. Yeah, it's not good. None of it's good. It's like uh, that cop from Dixon Hill should look at her, <laughs> swallow the gum, and go, oh, God. <laughs> until then. I, got, I was semi-aroused by that. Uh, uh, no, it's until then. Everything that, that Crusher does on that scene, which makes no sense, which makes her look like a total weirdo, he is fucking into. Uh, she is really the Jun So Min of that scene, yeah. for sure. And then she swallows her gum, and he's like, oh, I'm not fucking her. <laughs> Swallowed her fucking gum. Some kind of mouth breather. Gross. So not a great introduction for Lita, but at this moment they didn't know she was eventually going to be Rom's wife. So yeah, there's a, what are you going to do? I guess there's some time between now and then because I know she goes around dating Bashir for a while. Spoiler. That's going to happen eventually, right? Um, hey, I can never remember the Elkar's command to make go away <laughs> appear on a pad. I know it's two button presses. It's two button presses, yep. But is it 7665 and then 8775, or is it 8665 and then 7? You know, it sounds complicated, but once you go through the academy, this stuff is very easy to remember. He fucking presses it two times, and go away appears on the screen in 120 was, point <laughs> font. Thank you, yes. Like, that's not what the rest of the text would have looked like on that pad. Yes, so. I have in my quick hitters. Why is the font on that pad Julian is using so fucking huge? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Two two button presses. First of all, you'd want to be sly, so you'd probably want it to be small when you hand it to her, but no. And like off in a corner, like not like right in the middle is a picture <laughs> of something. And then in the bottom it says go away. Anyway, uh, this is a first uh, look at Cisco with a goatee. Mm -hmm. It does mean that we have to think about where he has been long enough to grow that full goatee yeah time is confusing this is not the first this is not a one week goatee time is confusing so in this episode a lot of time this passes season. in this episode and before this episode yeah i wonder how much time has passed since all that shit went down at the uh changeling homeworld it's confusing i sort of understand why kira wants to believe 
the the ancient Bajoran solar sail ship could have made it to Cardassia. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how Cisco can believe it. Yeah. Um, Jake and his dad get in an argument about whether he's going to go on this sailing trip because his girlfriend's coming. Yeah. And this is another one of those he's growing up, doesn't want to hang out with his old man things. Neither neither one of these neither one of these guys can um try to reschedule. <laughs> That's right. Say how how about the week after that? You're not really on the clock for this um spaceship voyage, so That's right. Yeah, you don't Can we do it the next week? Since we know you don't actually do your job and you just delegate everything, you can probably schedule this for whenever. Like, well, did you, know, you already requested time off from Admiral Nechev? Is that what happened? <laughs> well, call the yellow admiral. Yeah, that's you. right. That guy was fucking going to give you a medal last week for for ignoring his orders. Um, so they're doing a lot of winching, and they're having. It seems like it takes a lot of force, and I was like, "There's room for another eight inches on those winch handles before they interfere with anything." So, like. You know, get a bigger lever arm. Yeah, then you, your arms won't be all sore later. And then I remembered that this is not supposed to... There's not supposed to be gravity. Uh, so where are they supposed to... How are they supposed to generate any force to work these winches? Oh, that's like a super like, good question. Like, are they question. supposed to strap their feet to something? Like, when you... Hey, Bajor. Dear Star, when you dear do, Star Trek. When you do almost anything that requires muscular force, at the end of the day, the limitation is the friction between your feet and the floor. Yeah. Like, that's why hockey players hold on to each other when they punch each other, because you can't punch hard on ice. Right. So, it's a cool set, but, like, if you're going to give the Bajorans this stuff, you can just say they had anti-gravity, too. Like, yeah, and like then, they already and had space all makes travel. Sense like, just who cares? Yeah. So, I get that this thing is supposed to be, like, a sailboat inside. Mm-hmm. But how did the Bajorans get it into orbit? Yeah, what launch vehicle delivered this thing? Right. It doesn't, this just doesn't seem like the first thing that a spacefaring race would create. Well, it's, uh, and it, they have uh, tachyon jet streams in, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, that yeah, go yeah. through Bajor. That's cool. They still got to get it to space. Oh, I see. Through Bajor. <laughs> yeah, just literally, just like our jet stream, just down, you know. Um, uh, I just fucking went to warp in the atmosphere, uh-huh. creating a bunch of Dal rocks everywhere. <laughs> the Dal rock was formed. Now we know about Bajor, finally. Um,. It does seem like the kind of thing rich assholes would build to play around in once space travel was cheap and easily accessible. I built a, a space sailboat. That's right. I just fuck around up there. It's a space yacht. I'm rich. Uh, always love when we see a Nebula class ship. Hell yeah. That's why everyone wanted that assignment. Because it's hot. Isn't it, am- isn't it amazing how classical music and all public domain songs like Jerusalem survive until the 2370s, but no one's ever humming Yellow Submarine in the background? <laughs> right. Yeah, or even like, uh, I don't know, Prey by MC Hammer or something. Oh, I have forgot. Let me look this up. Uh, I have forgotten, but they originally wanted to use songs that were not in the public domain. But then it, they realized they don't have any money. It was like Space Ghost going to buy that stamp. I don't have any money. That's exactly what it was, but hold on a second because I forgot what the actual songs were and I'm sure it is hateful. I don't have any money. Louie Louie or uh, Rocket Man. Oh boy. Huh. They were going to have them singing Rocket Man? Apparently. That's bad. Okay. But it would have meant that at least it had survived until then, huh? Yeah. Well, 
They could just listen to some Bajoran music. This is just a retread of the DS9 theme. So, Dr. Lenz. Yeah. Read all of Bashir's papers. She's very up to date on his career. Yeah. Without ever seeing his picture. Right. In any way. Does that make Jordy extra creepy? Like, if that's what's normal. The Leah Brahm shit that he pulls. Is that why she's so shocked by it? I don't know. I would think that normalizes the behavior if everyone's like that. If everyone's all red up and everything. No, yeah, but she never saw Bashir's picture. Oh, right. So, like, she has no idea what he looks like. Yeah. It's not attached to his papers. She's not uh, bringing up his well, bio. And to be fair... Jordy was full on, can we uh, make her? Can yes, we have her? I was going to oh. say, to be fair, he didn't know what she looked like either until he made the holodeck maker. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that was creepy, though. Yeah. So, like, uh, does it make it extra creepy? Then like, maybe, everywhere yeah. Leah Brahms has gone, has like, no one has ever seen her before. And now she shows up and Jordy's like, oh, we're in love? <laughs> yeah, oh, you Hello. met my girlfriend. This you is, and I, we're in love? This is my girlfriend. It's you. You're my girlfriend. I know you. Just, the computer told me that this is you and I know you. Just thinking that that's an innocent decision that they made where she there was a case of mistaken identity and she thought he was somebody else. But uh makes Jordy seem worse and I'm not happy about that. Oh, yeah. Well, we already know he's kind of a... It's not great with the ladies. It's not good. I give best actor to Ducat and worst actor to Drunk O'Brien. Anytime Ducat's on screen, he's a candidate. Yeah. Screen, I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do I got here? Uh, intro to Lita, okay. Uh, why is the font so big? Right. Um, hey, in a real conversation with a friend about an issue, mm-hmm. I don't think you say... I'll always feel second best and then walk away without saying anything else, even though the whole conversation was 45 seconds long. <laughs> no, that's not normal. She literally comes and sits down. She asks uh, why he looks down. He says all the stuff about the Academy and then he just gets up and fucking leaves and doesn't say bye or anything. And it's like, what the fuck? I mean, is that the kind of conversation you might have in your own house where like, with a sibling who you live with because these guys will see each other all the fucking time. I guess. He doesn't feel the need to do anything. He just fucking yeah. bounces. It's like there's two places, there's three places to eat here if you count the Klingon restaurant. <laughs> I'm going to see you again. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hey, did the um, did the ancient Bajorans have Starfleet issue zero G rations? Well, Cisco says that's all the ancient Bajorans had, but it doesn't seem like he cared about what they were eating what they did actually have he knows about their zero g toilet though and that's pretty cool (laughs) yes and then again it's just so mind-blowing to me this lady thought a man named julian julian bashir might be an Andorian. was an andorian for sure and then i say i I wouldn't have said that out loud i would have just said i didn't (laughs) recognize him (laughs) oh i didn't recognize you you don't have to say the other part i was so caught up that year i yeah i guess i just didn't I wasn't even thinking about what you looked like. Yeah, that's better. Uh, maybe, let's say maybe she didn't hear. Maybe when someone pointed him out, someone just said that's Bashir because that could be an Andorian. I mean, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and then later, when she was reading his paper, she was like, "How do you supposed to say that, Julian? <laughs> Julian Bashir? Julian? Julian? Julian Bashir? That's yeah, interesting. <laughs> or maybe Bashir. she's like, mm, yeah, that's his." Uh, that's his English name <laughs> that right. he's chosen for himself. Spent so much time among humans. It's probably just easier. We probably can't pronounce the real thing. Yeah. 
I probably, we probably don't even say Bashir, right? Well, as usual, we've done way more work than the writers did, who just said, <laughs> well, I thought you weren't in Dorian. What? Huh? And that's it for me, man. You you outpaced me on quick hitters this week. You were all over this I thing. had a lot of them this week. I've moved to a new format where I put the quick hitters in a bulleted list instead of one fat, nasty paragraph. That does so. sound really good, because I, I got a nasty graph. It's a lot to read them back, yeah. I should do that for the other sections, too, but it's it makes the notes very large to put them in a bulleted list. Yes. A lot of extra line breaks. Um, Jesus, did we do it? Is it, it done? Yeah, it's done, and the numbers are in. Okay. Last place this week with uh, a poor 15 points. Yeah, we know who. Enterprise with doctor's orders. Back-to-back fucking weeks. Uh, With almost twice as many points, but still in fourth place this week, Voyager Scorpion Part 1. Yeah. Now, we were eight points apart on this one. Yeah, I was much higher on this than you. You must have talked yourself down. I did. I uh, talked myself down in premise, mostly. By the way, I talked myself down, too. The list I gave you beforehand was 19, 18, 18, 17. Nine. <laughs> and you ended up 18, 17, 17, 16, 18. I t- one down you on took each. a point off of every single episode. <laughs> oh, that's rough. Yep. <clears throat> uh, but I knew it was going to be tight. I knew after uh, Enterprise, it was gonna, they were going to be kind of bunched together, so... And they really, really were, because third place this week uh, with 32 points, Tin Man. Yeah, an episode we both found pretty average. Yeah, we both gave it a 16. 16 is the average, so. Uh, Now we have a tie for first place. Oh, fuck. Between the Empath and Explorers at 35. And (laughs) we have partial notes from Ben. Luckily, Ben scored both of these episodes. You gave... Each one an 18, and I gave each one a 17. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not much between. Like, they scored their points in different areas, but not otherwise not much between them. Yeah. Uh, TNG had a better front half and a... Well, no, I guess it was a good premise and characterization in a weak middle, and uh, DS9 was same across the board, basically. Yeah. Luckily, Ben scored both of these episodes. Oh, good. So, taking his scores as the tiebreaker... Okay. The win goes to Deep Space Nine. Oh, wow, again. Yep, he gave it a 17, and he gave 15 points to the Empath. So even he found it pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he didn't score TNG or any of the others, but it, it is it is super convenient that on a week when we had incomplete <laughs> notes from him, he scored the two that tied. Yeah, that is lucky. Thanks, VP. Uh, Thanks with, for playing. With the tiebreaker, Deep Space Nine gets its 19th win. Damn. By the way, if it had gone the other way, original series would have tied it again. Oh, yeah. At 18. Uh, but it's a game of inches. That's what everyone's been saying about this project. Yeah. So after 67 episodes, uh, TNG, the next generation, has 24. DS9 has 19 Catching wins. Up. Original series has 17. Right now, those three look clustered pretty close together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enterprise 5, Voyager 2. Voyager made up some points this week. But Voyager is still uh, 173 Yeah, last down. week was their opportunity to make up points because Harbinger scored 10, but they could only muster a pretty paltry 15. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Which is what which is what the loser this week, Doctor's Order. Oh, got. man, I'm looking at this now. That means the order's the same next week. We got to do... I got to do Enterprise and then Voyager again. Uh, Yeah, sort of. You get to do TNG one notch earlier. Yeah, but I mean, that's a tough duo to start with. Well, let's see if it gets tougher. Here's what we're watching. All right. 
Elon of Troyus. Uh, I hated the uh, the screen grab on Netflix on this. It's like a green dude, right? Yep, hated it. Uh, obviously, this is going to... So whatever you think the message of uh, the story of Helen of Troy was, let's look for that. That's probably <laughs> what this one's going to be. Yep. Hollow Pursuits. Finally, we are introduced to Broccoli. The character of Reginald Barkley and the idea of going buck wild in the holiday. You're just creating all your people you know from real life who mostly you don't like and uh, turning them into holiday characters that you can pwn all day. And having so little... Eh, it doesn't matter, but well, I mean, because we're going to talk about it for a full hour. <laughs> Dude, that one's going to get so much. Having so little self-awareness that you make Riker really tiny. <laughs> Because you find him physically intimidating in the real world. And then also to be so used to working with professional people that the moment you run into someone with maybe some psychological issues, you want to eject him into the sun. Oh, yeah. No one's going to look good next week, guys. Yep. No one. It'll be fun. Now, the Deep Space Nine episode mm. is family business. That sounds like a Ferengi. It's an episode where Quark returns to the Ferengi homeworld no! to deal with his mother. Mookie. Because <laughs> she's doing illegal profit Ugh, and wearing clothes. If and you whatnot. think that the tr- that there's going to be a uh, moment where she takes all her clothes off and Quark realizes that's not actually what he wants for her, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Scorpion Part Two. May it be better than Part One. Fourth season starts. It. Presumably they'll be dealing with the Borg. Maybe we'll pick something up. Yeah. You already had Scorpion 1 eight points ahead of me. So at least from your perspective, there's got to be... In fact, it won the week for you. So from your perspective, there's got to be some hope for Scorpion Part 2. Yeah, maybe. And then uh, Enterprise Hatchery. I presume we will visit a hatchery at some point. When are they going to visit that weapon they got to get rid of? In the next episode after that, Azadi Prime. Is that where they need to go? That's where they're headed. That's where it's going to happen. All right. So Probably we got one week. more episode that could potentially not advance the story. We'll Bro, see I got to start with Hatchery. Yeah. Fuck. Maybe it'll be about Terry Hatcher. <gasps> I haven't seen her in a while. Oh, my God. As um, I never remember what I called her in that episode. B.G. Robinson. Yeah, but I called her something way better, and I'll never remember because <laughs> I don't save my notes. I have to go back and listen to that again. <laughs> Why don't you save your notes? I, just, I don't want them. <laughs> I mostly, when I'm done with them, I, I hope that no one will ever see them again. For someone who is very accusatory of me reading them... Well, that's another reason I get rid of them, because I don't like people you getting you in keep there. Them around. People apparently I have think easy you don't keep access. them around for Richard Nixon reasons. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. That's why well, we got to get rid of this podcast when we're done with it, too. That's what you should watch if you're playing along. Next time. Ron of Troyes, Hollow Pursuits, Family Business, Scorpion Part 2, Hatchery. Yeah, next time is a mailbag. I ain't been stuffing it so much. I'll concentrate on that this week. But people, send us some mail. Uh, that's at uh, BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. You can email us, brothers at brotherdate.com. You can find us at brotherdate.com. You can go to Stitcher. And, uh, you know, uh, so as you believe. So shall you do, so, so shall, shall you, do. you do, so as so you believe, you so shall, so you, shall do. you do. And again, they do claim it is their territory. So all I gotta say is, it wasn't great. <laughs> Actually, what I gotta say is, well, we went 5 and 11, not very good. 
subscribe.